Welcome back to the Ack Attack Podcast. As always, I'm your host, a manga about a cartoon bat, Jay. And joined as always is my co-host, a Stephen King novel, Z. How are you doing today, Z? I'm doing just dandy. Now, I saw you raise your eyebrow, as I knew you would at this, as this opener in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the connecting thread of this is that the one the manga I'm referring to is called Billy Bat. Uh, and in that one, they try to stop the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Among other things, they don't stop any of the things they try to stop. But they try, but okay. God. Uh, and the Stephen King novel I'm referencing is eleven twenty two sixty three. Of course, I don't know if I don't know if they stopped the assassination of John F. Kennedy in that one because I didn't finish it. Yeah, he does. God bless. But he has to undo it, Stop right? Because so he so he do- doesn't. Yeah, yeah. As I understand it, apparently the ending is a lot not as good as you'd hope. Because how Stephen King books go, though. Yep, well, we've said that before. Because it ends with... We might have even talked about this movie. or this. Well, it's a show. It's a miniseries, yeah. Um, but it turns out that in doing so, it, like, ruins the world. But not in, like, an interesting way that requires any kind of, like, writing. It just, like, right? unravels you, the universe. Yeah, it just, it just, like, unravels the fabric of the... So it's just like, oh, the world literally just collapses in, like, a weird, you know, uh, you know sci-fi gobbledygook apocalypse like it just kind of the the fucking planet explodes or something so it's like that doesn't actually require anything to be done of like oh geez what could be what a conundrum i'm i'm oh it turns out if that happens then the soviet union does this and the we live in a we live in nuclear apocalypse yeah it's not even anything like that it's just like oh yeah and then the fabric of space time unravels like oh okay well anything but sure yeah the last thing or whatever things sci-fi is for some reason obsessed with the JFK assassination, right? Yeah. Because he was the last yeah. good man. Yeah. It's fucking Dark Tower. X-Men Apocalypse. Not Apocalypse. Days of Future Past, though. Yeah. What else? There's got to be a, another one. Billy Bat. Uh, and Billy Bat, 9-11 happens. Umbrella Academy. I didn't get that far in Umbrella Academy. I didn't know that. The whole the whole second volume of Umbrella Academy is called Dallas. Oh, right. They're in... I know... I've seen some of that season. Not all of it, yeah, though. Yeah, the second volume of the comic. The second... Uh, they get sent back in time to 193 Dallas. Well, some of them don't. Some of them get sent back further. I think a whole thing. And they catch up to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because one of them killed JFK. Five. Number five did. That crafty number five. He doesn't get a real name. He's called five, though. He doesn't, does he ever get a real name? Well, no, because he leaves with they all get real names or something. Oh. He's a little... He's the one who's young but old. Yeah, he, he, he jumped too far. All right, anyways. Anyway. Enough about Umbrella Academy. Uh, the Oscar noms came out this week. You want to talk about those a bit? Yes, let's do that. So, do you want to just run down the list here? Yeah, which character do you want to start with? Let's do Best Picture. Okay. The big one. That's the, the, the big, the big Um, I would say, just to note off the top here, I think we've done better than ever before in terms of actually seeing these movies. I was I would say the same as well. I was going to say the same thing. Even before, instead of doing like the thing we normally do, we're like, oh, the Oscars are coming? Uh, let's just watch some of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, we have, obviously, American Fiction, Anatomy of... of Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Kills of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, The Zone of Interest. And so well, you've seen a couple of those that even I haven't. Or one? Maybe it's only one now. I'm up to one, one now because you saw Poor Things. I've seen Maestro and you haven't seen that one yet. So I, I want to see... I mean, that's still three we haven't seen, huh? Yeah, I want to see... And the Zone of Interest is, and Anatomy of a Fall are coming to theaters near us in, in the next week or two. Oh, there. Yeah, it's only oh. just much more showings. Anime Falls one or two, but it's also on Amazon for like six bucks. These stupid fucking festival movies. I mean, I get it, but 
God. So I knew that they squeak in and they're like, oh, we're technically a 2023 movie. Not that anyone alive actually got to see it in 2023. Because then we look like idiots because we didn't talk about whatever last year. But it didn't really come out last year, did it? Everyone's coming their pants over zone of interest. I'm like, I want to see this movie. I want to see it. Yeah, of those remaining ones... um. That are, so the ones I we've seen all of them or you've seen all of them save for those three and then I haven't seen Maestro either but I don't really have much interest in Maestro um, of those ones really I think Zone of Interest is the last one I really care to see but maybe we'll I don't know, maybe I can be convinced but those other three seem to be pretty standard like just kind of um, dramas right wouldn't you say uh, yeah An Amity Fall is little as a court procedure okay from what I understand it's really about somebody falling off a building or something yeah, and it's like, did she push him or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And it's French, so. Is it really? I think so. And then past lives, it's just like two people meet in New York. Wouldn't that be weird? I think. Which they both know each other in South Korea. I'm sure it's good or whatever, but you know, you know, you know, Jack. I've met some. I could meet anybody in New York if I tried. I could do that. I could be a past lives, couldn't I? In a very real sense, we've all had past lives. I think. I think. Um. So I guess. I mean, we've kind of already did all these most of these movies, right? When we did our yeah. movie thing last year or whatever. And big look all the movies we saw, hey. Oh boy, here um, we go, so many movies. So I think it's it's well documented. Our favorite is Oppenheimer. Do we think Oppenheimer actually will win? Yeah, absolutely. Do you? Man, I, I, I agree, I guess. I think it should win. I think it seems likely enough. Um, But I guess I, you never know, man. That's never true. Know. I guess... I think Killers of the Flower Moon's got a real good chance. I think well. I think they all have a, a reasonable enough chance, even the ones I haven't seen. Well, I don't think they're completely equal. No, I, I guess I guess some of them are. I guess like if I were to have to pick like the three that I think would win, I think it would mm-hmm. be like you said, Killers, Oppenheimer, and probably Poor Things. If I had to pick, those are. I mean, those are the three. Front, um, like the big front runners. Uh, just just total noms wise, yeah. So, those are yeah. Those are pretty good. Those are pretty good. Bets. Sure bets. Yeah, can't really go wrong with any of those. But oh, I mean, holdovers kind of snuck in. I didn't expect the holdovers to get nominated for best picture. Yeah, I, I don't know if I did either. Kind of the dark horse um, of this race, if if I'm as far as I'm concerned. It, it might be. It might be. And I think this is a good trend. Like we talk, we complain a lot about the Oscars and how like the movies they pick are dumb and <laughs> inaccessible, and we mm-hmm. hate them or whatever. Um, a lot of these movies, and because like you, as you alluded to, we usually do this thing where we try to catch at least a couple of these that we haven't seen just for the fun of it right mm-hmm. and usually because jamie february's got nothing going on <laughs> and we complain about the oscars as much as the next guy or whatever and then yet we still all come back and talk about him every year but yeah whatever um but the, the thing is is like i think we i do think we use them for good in the sense that we don't really get too worked up about it one way or the other but then we use it as an opportunity to try to see some new stuff but yeah like we said we just the natural uh course of the year here we ended up seeing a lot of these of of our own volition just because they seem kind of interesting and i think a lot of these are are pretty accessible um as far as best picture noms go in the in the past decade or so right yeah my mom was actually talking to me about this because she was like you see the noms i was like actually yeah these actually like movies are coming back i think and i was like how do you know that you don't have a podcast what are you talking about how did you know that who told you that we did movies are back we're back they're yeah, back. She, and she's like the same thing you said. She was like, "Yeah, the Oscars usually suck. Movies are bad." But I was like, "Me, old mom, goddamn it, you're right. When you're right, you're right." Hell yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, the holdovers. Obviously, Oppenheimer and Barbie were a phenom, 
um, Killers of the Flower Moon. These are all movies that were like genuinely popular um, and, and real people went to see uh, to some extent or another. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, they're, they're winning. Little Herbal bummer Asteroid City didn't get in, though. I, I honestly, that's what I was going to say. Asteroid City is the biggest, like, sort of, uh, what do you call it? Snub? Snub, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I, that I can observe here, right? Mm-hmm. It missed out on, like, tons of stuff that I would like to have seen it get nominated for. I don't, I don't know what that is. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Academy, as it were, is, uh, getting sick of old, uh, old Wessie. They weren't too sick when they gave, didn't Grand Budapest win Best Picture, I thought? Well, yeah, but there's been, what, three more movies since then? They're like, all right, man, come on. Maybe they really didn't like Isle of Dogs. They're like, I didn't (laughs) know. They're like, well, they just keep, and they're like, we we get the sense maybe that you do similar things with all your movies, Wes. I don't know. He's like, no, but you don't get it. No one wants to play about it. It's like, yeah, so? (laughs) Who cares? Uh, Steven Spielberg um, extends his his lead for most Best Picture noms with uh, Maestro. Maestro. He's a producer. He almost directed it. Oh, did you really? Him and Martin Scorsese almost directed this movie at some at one point. I feel like I hear this all the time. No wonder Martin Scorsese's all sad. He's he has to skip like half the fucking movies he makes because he's making the, uh, he's more of time management. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, it took him like four years to make killers. Granted it was killed, really, but still really Scott says I made like three movies <laughs> since then. I don't know what his deal is, but you remember he when it was like, Ooh, is he gonna make Joker? Yeah. When you get a name like Spielberg on a thing, I mean, maybe f- based off of what you just said there, then maybe he had more involvement than I, I was aware of. But when you have like a Spielberg type and he gets a producer credit, does he actually have to do anything for that? I don't think. I think he just has to say, think- you should make this movie. And they go, well, I, we got to put his name on it because then we'll get something. He's not, he's not out there working, right? He's no. not on set. Like, he's got Schindler's hey. List 2 to write or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he's not on set like doing shit, right? Like being like, oh, I gotta, I'm, you know, he he's not running around putting out fires on set. That's all I'm saying, right? No. Not like, oh, geez, we didn't. The, oh, the craft services people didn't show up on time. Oh, let me go. And I can't imagine he would have to even put out. No, I dropped my phone. Hold on. Don't laugh at me, Alana. As I was saying, I don't think he would have to put out fires because if if you were fucking up and then Steven Spielberg appeared from the mist, you'd be like, well, I'm sorry, I'll I'll figure it out. I just don't I think bet. he was there at all. Is, is oh, basically me neither. Not. It's just interesting because obviously most of those, to his credit, are for his movies, right? It is like Schindler's List and fucking Jurassic Park and West Side Story and yeah, oh yeah, yeah, West Side Story, yeah, yeah, good call. Um, E.T. I for... Oh, I doubt it. Was E.T. up for Best Pick? I was looking for Shame Private Ryan. That all times. Oh, um, that's that's a good one. I think Warhorse actually got uh... the Fablemans. Was that up for Best Picture last they year? Last year. Yeah. So there you go. Um. So obviously he worked on those to to be fair, right? But it's just funny that like this Bradley Cooper uh, vehicle basically it's like oh and and Steven Spielberg gets a Best Picture nom for that. It's like how much work did you really put into that? But yeah, were you, you know, the one making on. his giant nose prosthetic? Um. Also, John Williams extends his lead as the uh, oldest Oscar nominee and uh, most Oscar noms as well. So oh, look at him go for Indiana Jones five. Count him. Um, Bradley Cooper, I saw. He's the fifth person ever to direct himself in a Best Picture nom. Um, hmm. So, or maybe it's direct him. No, wait. Maybe it's direct himself in a Best Actor nom. Let me see. While we're doing that, I think we could pause the question. If since we both think Oppenheimer is going to win, if we take out Oppenheimer, which one we want to win? That's not Oppenheimer. That could be fun. I think Killers. I think it's Killers. Just, yeah, yeah. 
we don't really have anything bold for that. I mean, I for mean, what I would like, to, I will get to it later. We saw it this week, but well, you saw I really love the fiction. Um, oh, but right. I don't, I don't think it's really quite got the. I don't think it's quite got the juice. You know, I would say poor things. Oh, well, like I said, yeah, that that seems pretty. Yeah, but they get the most. I went mean, armor, poor things than killers. So in terms of just overall noms, so it's yeah. I mean, it seems completely plausible that mm-hmm. any one of those three could take it. I also. I don't know how. I mean, the thing is, right? The academy, as it were, it's just people, right? It's just yeah. a bunch of dudes who vote on this shit. So, you know, they're as susceptible to human like psychology as the rest of us. I would like to think, although they are in Hollywood, so they're basically lizards. They're even more susceptible to craziness. <laughs> um, when we are opposite direction with that, <laughs> I was joking that they're unfeeling lizard monsters. I think they're. I think they're just fucking nuts. Deep. No, yeah, which I think both completely valid interpretations. Some I think are both at once, exactly, and that's just it. But um, so I I don't know. If, I feel like if I was voting on this stuff, I would think of it as like I gotta spread these out, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe whichever one they decide on best actor for kind of thing, it's like all right, maybe we don't give best picture to the same one as best actor to the same one as best director and so on and so forth. So it I think it could end up with you know any one of those three ends up with a smattering of of different ones, right? Yeah, Wait, yeah. Let's get into it. So, um, after Best Picture, well, and the thing for Bradley Cooper, by the way, it's that he is the, uh, he was the 13th person to direct himself to a Best Actor nomination in Star is Born. He's now the fifth person to do it more than once. That was hmm. the thing. So he's directed himself to being the best actor, which I guess he's clearly a competent director, huh? Yeah. I take that from him. I, we've talked about, I think maybe it was off pod, but his, um, He's like missed out noms before, and it's like I don't think any of them really were actually that spectacular to me. That I think he's been severely snubbed. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think American Sniper, for one, is a very good movie at all um, for yeah. a lot of reasons. But you know, that guy's a racist. Yeah, well, like I said, a lot of reasons. <laughs> but he was up for best actor, and that movie was up for best picture, which is like baffling. If you if we really come, it's so weird to me that like why is American Sniper a best? That's insane, right? That's a stereotypical, just like fucking. I don't know. Like a, it's not even like, like a movie uh, your dad likes. I was just gonna, that's what I, I was trying to look. I was trying to find those words, Nick, and you've delivered them right to me. It's just a movie your dad would like. Be like, I, just like check out this film. You see American Sniper? That movie's sick. Yeah, it's just a stereotypical like war on terror era. Like fucking. Oh, the guys went to Iraq and they were sad about it. But it's not even a particularly good version of that, right? Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, maybe it didn't happen because it's a biopic. Because. Oh yeah, lots of lies. He's a big liar, that guy. And he's dead. You're not supposed to speak ill of the dead or whatever. But he wrote that book before he died and put a bunch of lies in it. So what are you supposed to say? Hmm? You know, it sucks that he's dead. Don't get me wrong. But he also whatever. said he was going to kill people in New Orleans. So no, he did say that he did that. Oh, he, he said he did that. Many people and American citizens in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. It's a thing he said they made. They asked him to do, and he did willingly. So. Anyways, um, or best director because that's next on mine here. So there's only five up here, which so ten I thought seemed like a lot. I don't know if the rules, what rules there are or not, or if they've changed or whatever. But I was, I thought ten seemed like a ton for best picture. Yeah, because inevitably I feel like once you get it expanded up into ten, some of those are just kind of in there for the heck of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like surely the bottom like three to five of these have no chance and are yeah. mostly there for like. To look nice, as like a, just just to be like, all right, well, you can put like a nominated on your fucking box right. art in the right? month. Honestly, you know, 
might come be controversial here, but I feel like notably that's like maybe Barbie. As much as I loved Barbie, I, it doesn't feel like a real best like something that could win. Yeah, it, it, that's it's the holdovers. It doesn't feel like something that could win. Um, we'll get to that later, though. We got some, but best director we have um, Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, Chris Nolan for Oppenheimer, um, uh, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, I guess, for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. Um, like I said, it's the same kind of thing. I, I guess I don't see Best Picture and Best Director going to the same movie. I guess right. is my. Th- like I said, that's how I would do it at least. I'm sure it's happened before. I mean, I know it has, but it happened last year. Yeah, it just seems like the type of thing you could mix up a little, right? Yeah, and I guess maybe, maybe they'll both go Scorsese. I don't fucking know. Maybe they both. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I could definitely see them if they give whoever wins best pick, like director wins the <laughs> other, like the other one would win best picture. Like if yeah, if Killers wins picture, no one will win director. But if mm-hmm. Martin wins director, Oppenheimer will win picture kind of thing. I could see them being like, we'll give him a bone either way. I could honestly, I guess it, of those, I would have to like, I would lean more towards Oppenheimer for picture and I guess Scorsese for director. I would, I would agree. Killers is too long. I think that really is a slight against it. Far too long. Like it really I, I, at some point is, is, yeah. I don't think it hits it's as hard as Oppenheimer does. Like no, Oppen- no. Oppenheimer really hits its message. Like, like he hits it at the end. But that's also some of the directing, right? Like that's true. That movie's presented in such an interesting way. Again, Killers is great, and it also hits very hard with its message and has some great stuff going on. But it really—it's anyone's game in that sense. It's—it's it's a tough one. I could see it going either way. Um, best actor: we got Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Um, I have not seen uh, Rustin, so. Me neither. Can't speak to that. Coleman Domingo is usually really great, though. So I'm sure he did yeah. a good job. Um, of these other four, these are all really strong. Really strong. Well, actually, I've not seen... Sorry, I've not seen Maestro either. What do you think of Maestro? He's probably got the most black of any of these. Yeah, he, I mean, I, in my, in my litter-based review, uh, mm-hmm. I wrote that he sounds like a sick cartoon character. Because, I mean, here's the thing. I think he's probably doing his voice accurately enough. He just... I mean, he's he's a Jewish guy who lived in, like, the 50s. It was going to sound a little silly sometimes, like, in a stereotypical kind of way. And it's a little distracting, frankly, <laughs> in the film when I watched it. So I would say he probably won't get it. And in the movie, the lion's share of, like, the real dramatic stuff is not even Leonard Bernstein. It's his wife, played by... Hey. We'll get to her, but played by the actress when we get to her. So I, I don't think that... I, I don't think he... I don't think he could. I don't think he stacks up to like the other three, even against Paul Giamatti, who isn't playing nearly as a dramatic role. But I think Paul Giamatti kind of beats beats him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and stands closer Paul to Killian and Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, I I agree. Having not seen it, I'm gonna choose to agree with you. Excellent. I was also at least partially because I think it'd be funny. Um, he he caught a lot of flack for like doing the most oscar he for whatever reason everyone decided his was the most oscar Beatty movie this year and um he caught the brunt of that right yeah they really did it to him and on the one hand he seems to have succeeded in the sense that he he's got up for actor director and picture like oh wait no i don't know why i said director he wasn't up for director but he was actor, up for picture and actress yes i think um and it's the but it is what i'm saying is it's the movie he did direct mm, so right. you know best picture it goes partially to him well also he gets it because he was a producer anyway so Listen, I mean, and, and I've seen, you know, this discourse has gone in about three 
cycles already. You know how it goes. It comes back around. So it was like, first it was like, ah, he's trying too hard. And then I was like, w- so what if he tries too hard? Can't people try hard at things and do it well? And ultimately, I guess the uh, kind of crux of it is whether or not you think he tried well, tried hard and did well, or if he tried hard and failed, just kind of like overdid it. And it wasn't really, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. So I don't know. Um, the whole like, he studied for six years or whatever. It's it the same. That just seems ridiculous no matter who you're asking. I don't know. Yeah. I, point, is he is he actually just a conductor now? Like, did he train for six years to become an actual competent conductor? Or did he just train for six years to, uh, like, do an impression of a man? I don't know. Because I've heard him talk about it in interviews because he's doing the press junket that, like, he actually did conduct, like, the re- a real orchestra, like, the real actual people who do it. Mm-hmm. and like the first day it like sucked and the next day he did it right and like someone from the orchestra was like that was good directed mate and i'm like i guess but the scene cool. in the movie is not nearly as long as you would expect based on all the fuck he's talking about it i was mm-hmm. like why wasn't it like i thought it was gonna be like and we're gonna watch him conduct for like six uninterrupted minutes or some bullshit like that no it's like they cut like a bunch of times and it's like three minutes or something. It's like it's not his direct is his conducting is not the main focal point of the scene that it appears in. Yeah, there you go. He's my. I would say he should have just fucking directed it and not acted in it, and it would have been probably better. He would have got less flat because I think he's very good at directing and he's a great job directing the film. Acting, the voice is silly. Uh, so what do we think? I mean, it's I feel like it's easy to give it to Killian again. Yeah, it's God, he was pretty stellar in that. Uh, yeah, it's hard to hard to beat that. Uh, Paul Giamatti and Jeffrey Wright were both really good, but like, I don't know if either of those movies have quite enough uh, juice to them. I don't think so. Not that they did anything wrong. I think they were both really, really good in those performances, but just up on another level. To them. Yeah, what demanded more of him, I guess, right? Mm. Like Paul Giamatti's had to look frazzled in Boston for like two hours, and that's not. And by that's God, great. Did. And, and by and, God, he did. Okay, and by God, he did. You can't take that from him. And he insulted some high school boys, and heads off to him. Mm-hmm. And Jeffrey Wright's mom died, or his sister died of a heart attack, and you know, that sucks. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Kelly Murphy had to carry a three-hour movie about the guy who made the atomic bomb and had to make it make a billion dollars, so, you know. Um, best actress, we got Annette Benning in Nyad, Lily Gladstone, obviously in Killers, Sandra, I don't know, I'm going to say Hewler. Hewler? It's got the Ulam. It's got the Ulam over there. Uh, Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, like we just talked about, and Emma Stone in Poor Things. Um, having only seen uh, poor things and killers on this list. I think that's still a really hard lineup. Um, and I'll be disappointed to either one of those not getting it kind of thing. Like either you know, it's gonna be a disappointment either way because I think in any other year these either one of them could have ran away with it. That's the thing with it. I think that's kind of like the double edged sword of having a year like last year. Is like any other year, any of these, any of the best picture movies, if they were all spread out on a course of 10 different years, they would have each won, probably, or almost won. We're in front runners. But since they're all together, yeah. you're really like, they all got to fall off, unfortunately. And the same with these. Like, yeah. I mean, the only, again, I've only seen one more than you, but like Emma Stone, Carrie, Carrie Mulligan, and Lily Gladstone, if they were in three separate years, they all would have won, I think. I kind of has. Oh, sorry, go ahead. There you go. I was going to say, I kind of want to. As, good as, as much as I liked Emma Stone in Poor Things, I kind of want to give it Hilary Gladstone just because it'd be the f- it, she's like the first Native American woman to get a best yeah. actor actress nom, and so she'd win in the same year as the first one. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel like, and again, that, that like just should happen. Yeah, human psychology wise, I think that's going to factor into the ones who are voting too. Mm-hmm. Like, just is what it is. Um, yeah, Emma Stone's great. 
as well, though. We'll get to that as well. It has it has um, sparked a an uncomfortable amount of discourse about if Lily goes Gladstone was good at acting, which is just annoying, tedious. That is annoying. Yeah, it's like, oh, wasn't you just sick the whole movie? And you, I remember this was like a thing that I had seen about the movie before we saw it, and then you see it and you're like, no, she's not. Yeah, like she's sick she's for a good portion of it, but she's also acting during those too. She's having to act yeah. all sick like. She's great yeah. then. Um, I think she is. She really is. I saw Leo was very cool about it on on uh, Instagram because he he obviously didn't actually get to know. Um, but he was super super cool about that. Leo's a was a weird guy, huh? Oh, he's an actor, and he's like the most one of the most famous ones. So he's the weirdest right. of the bunch. It's like we were just saying because he's on the one hand, right? He spends his time like dating women half his age and like hanging out on yachts, doing I don't know, God knows blow, what, God knows what, blow doing Jordan Belford ass shit. Yeah, but then he also like very cool about stuff like that just be a really gracious cool guy he spends a lot of time doing like climate activism okay all right leo i see you all right leo you're an enigma uh, speaking of, i will say speaking of movies with people that are lies apparently naiad that the story that's based on the woman mm-hmm. who's naiad or whatever her name is apparently she's also a known liar who like lied about a bunch of swimming things she did and like ruined someone else's career swimmer attempts to swim the straits of florida and that wasn't true we think or uh, I don't know if that wasn't true or like her. There are there are other things in, her, in the real person's life she like claimed to have done that never happened or were lies. Yeah. I don't know if this particular story is also a lie. I can't. I didn't. I didn't see enough. I didn't look into it enough. I'll be honest. It has a whole. It has a whole section on the wiki for historical controversy or historical accuracy. Oh, Nad's crossing from Cuba to Florida took four attempts over four years and has never been formally ratified due to the lack of independent observers and incomplete records. Revoked its recognition of her achievement. She just thought I was saying, maybe I had too much hubridge. Like, I don't need to prove this to anybody. That's my bad. I mean, yeah. When so- you, uh, sounds like she lied about it. <laughs> in a real sense, when you do something like that, you are kind of trying to prove it to somebody, right? <laughs> yeah, you don't just swim from Cuba to... You don't swim at 90 miles for fun. She claims to have placed six at the 68 Olympic trials, which she never attended. She also stated in her memoir, which served as the base of the film, that she was the first person to swim around Manhattan when she was, in fact, the seventh. <laughs> And well, there you go. Sounds like she's a liar. Some NIAD supporters have dismissed scrutiny of the swimmer as a sexist response to a powerful woman, but her detractors have con- countered that marathon swimming is one of the few sports where women frequently best men income. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, interesting. There you go. Marathon um, swimming is insane, by the way. It's crazy. Yeah. It's got to be one of the hardest things that you can do. Also, the training for it is like mind boggling to me because you got to swim like you got to swim like 25 yards in like a pool. A billion times? God, that sounds horrible. A billion times. <laughs> Whatever the number is. <laughs> Somewhere. It's close to a billion. It's a billion. Yeah. It just sounds um, horrible. Well, yeah. Also, like because if you stop, you die. Yeah. And they have to and like it's in salt water. If you're swimming in salt water, like it sticks to your like chin and it, like eats away your skin because you're salt. If I like attempted a marathon, I wouldn't get very far, right? But I would stop and I would lay on the ground and I'd be done, right? Go, oh my god! Oh my god! If I attempted like a, even like the what is it a um, triathlon? Even the first part of a triathlon, I don't think I could do that just off the street, right? No, yeah, no way. And I would I die. Think... You would I'd sink like, and ah, you would. You'd go, you'd ah, go, I've aspirated a bunch of water. I'm going down. They'd look up at you. They try to go for it, and you'd go, please. You'd, you'd give me the old. As you just sink deep into the water. I give him the thumbs up as I sink below like <laughs> Arnold in Terminator 2. <laughs> you look like like, uh, like Jack in Titanic. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 
No, don't bother. <laughs> I've had enough. All right. Um, best supporting actor, we've got Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Killers, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Brian Gosling for Barbie, Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Here's this. We've seen all these guys, so we can give the definitive statement here, huh? Mm-hmm. I think it goes uh, to R- RDJ. <laughs> right? Come the fuck on. Fuck De Niro and Killers, all right? He's one of my least favorite parts of that. On further He's reflection. too old in Killers. He's too old, okay? Not that I actually disliked his role. Don't get me wrong. He does fine. He's doing he's doing De Niro things, all right? But he's that eight years He's not going to do a new performance. That rubs me the wrong way, Jack. Um, certainly K. Brown is good in American fiction. I don't think quite Oscar-worthy. He's not in it enough, maybe. Although yeah. none of these guys. I mean, it is supporting. I, eh, I don't know. Uh, Mark Ruffalo is is very fun in in poor things, but again, I don't know if there's enough depth to that necessarily. Yeah, he's more right? just kind of a goofy guy. He's yeah, right. Just kind of he's, yeah, right. There's not a ton of nuance to that performance. Not that he doesn't do a good job of being the funny guy. He's quite funny. Don't get me wrong. It's just not again. Not doesn't quite strike me as as Oscar worthy. Uh, uh, let's talk about let's talk about Barbie Jack. So this is maybe one of the most controversial ones I've seen of the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is Ryan Gosling Barbie, even though Greta Gerwig not uh, didn't get director, right? Mm-hmm. And Margot Robbie didn't get. Margot Robbie did not get actor, actress, actor, lead actress. Uh, what what is your take on that, Jack? Um, I was certainly surprised that which one for uh, that either of, that either of them didn't get it, even if even even if it wasn't both. I, don't, I guess mm-hmm. I didn't need both would have been I guess preferred, but I'm like, well, either one I guess I would have been fine with. But the fact that neither of them got it seems odd to me, especially putting Barbie in Best Picture and not giving the other way. I would I would have expected Barbie not to get Best Picture, but for those one of those other two to get it, just from the like we saying psychology of it, we're like fucking everybody saw that goddamn movie made a literally made a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of agree. Well, I will say people maybe. Going a little bit too far, yeah. So people are very uh, people have gotten quite about this, and I don't know. It's 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 created quite a number of takes. Um, I've seen st- like a lot of people were basically like boiling it down to well, it must be sexism or whatever, and uh, all that. And it's reignited the discourse for Barbie, which again has been through about four cycles now. Which is like Barbie's great, and then it's like was actually was Barbie even good? Actually, Barbie was good. Actually, was Barbie even really a good movie though? And it's like. I think the answer is very much yes. It was a good movie, but also mm-hmm. certainly not flawless. Um, to me, honestly, I can't disagree that that the um, Brian Gosling for Best Supporting Actor wasn't a little surprising to me. I guess I don't know if that's the one I would have picked out of there either. Um, but it's also created a bunch of takes of like, oh, well, or there's one at least one vile tweet in particular that was like, well, if I was Margot Robbie and he. And when when Ryan Gosling proposed to do the "I'm Ken" song, I'd have shut that down. And it's like, what? You've revealed such a complete like lack of understanding of how films work or any of part of this at all. What are you talking about? Yeah, they didn't. He didn't like, write the song. Why do you think he would be the one coming to anyone with that? Why do you think Margot Robbie would be the one who gets to prove it or not approve that? Like, what are you even? What are you talking about? And. I don't know. I get the frustration for people, but it's weird to be like, ah, clearly Ryan Gosling is the problem. As if he got to choose for himself to be nominated either. Like, no. what, should he have done bad? <laughs> should he have not tried So because he, he would have known they w- wasn't going to get nominated? What are you even asking here? And the thing is, like I said, I guess it surprised me a little. I don't 
because I don't know if he is Oscar-worthy, but I don't know if Margot Robbie was either, to be honest. She's really good in that movie, but again, there's some there's some real con- competition this year. It's fierce. It's fierce. And here's the thing. There's another thing that I keep seeing a lot of. It's like, oh, Margot Robbie did this for the movie, and she did this for the movie, and you know, she, she basically is the one who was fighting for it, and she got it off the ground, and she got it to be put out in the state that it is, and all this. Um, She's nominated for that. Yeah. She's she is the one who received or you know she's among the people who received a best picture nom for barbie as a producer so that stuff is counted right her work on as a producer to make the movie the the way it is is has been acknowledged whether she gets yeah best actor or not is 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 different different beast altogether yeah so i think it's it's it is a bit overblown i would have liked to see greta gerwig get best director for sure but yeah i am people there's that there's like a viral I don't know if it's a tweet or some mantra, just like oh the movie about women they they now and they gave the award to the man. It's like well what about America Ferrera guys? She also got nominated, and it might be controversial when we get to, well I guess we can just do this now. But like I also don't know if she really is on the same caliber either to actually be in there. So I think the thing is Barbie probably already got more awards than maybe it should. You know, as much as I love it, I really didn't expect it to be like this kind of movie. You know. Even after we saw it, I wasn't like, oh, this is going to sweep at the Oscars, right? It's just, does, this is not that. No. And again, like I said, we've, we've been through six cycles of discourse where I've seen people now be like, oh, if this movie came out in 2010, it would have been like a nothing movie. And it's like, well, I don't think that's true, right? There's clearly something else at play here. Again, yeah. it did make like a billion dollars or something nonsensical. Like, there's something to this movie. I wouldn't say it's like uh, completely like, oh, if it came out in a different year, it's, it's only a factor of current year that this movie it became the phenomenon that it is. I wouldn't agree with that, but I also, I do think that it's it has become a bigger deal than I expected as well. So, I don't know. I think eight noms is pretty good for Barbie, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'd say so. And here's the thing. Who cares about the Oscars, you know? Again, like I said, we do this every year and then we also still talk about them, but just don't don't get worried about it. It's fine. They're yeah. usually stupid, okay? Don't don't get too worked up about it. It'll be okay. I've seen a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I've seen some takes of like, like going against these kind of like, oh, I can't believe Mark Robin didn't get it. It was like, well, nobody's talking about the, the thing we mentioned with actors Lily Gladstone. Like, nobody's mentioned that, you know, everyone's mad that the white, another white lady didn't get a nom, but no one's talking about, as many people aren't talking about how a Native American woman for the first time got one. So it feels like... Well, yeah. The thing is, like, even if she did get the nom, what's that? It's it's a nice feather for your cap, I guess. But who cares? Because I re- yes, I really don't expect. Obviously, it's not even nominated, so it seems unlikely. But in some alternate world where Barbie did get not, or you know, Margot Robbie did get nominated for Barbie over someone else, I certainly still wouldn't ever expect it to win. So then, what do do we do the same thing? Right when it doesn't win, we go, oh, this is whatever. This is reflective of some systemic societal problem because Barbie didn't, Margot Robbie didn't win Best Actor for Barbie. Like, come on, because the because a woman beat another woman. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird argument. It's a weird argument to make. That's how I feel. So I don't think it's a big deal. Um, that is what. Yeah. But so finishing up with the Best Actress here or Supporting Actress, and then probably be done. Um, we got Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Daniel Brooks for The Color Purple, America Ferrara for. Barbie, Jodie Foster for Nyad, and Divine Joy Randolph for the holdovers. Um, to me, the my front runner is definitely going to be Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. which kind of means we've got a bit of an Oppenheimer sweep here, as it turns out. Which again yeah. was our favorite, so I guess that's not entirely surprising. But no, 
man, I don't know. I I didn't realize this is Emily Blunt's first nom ever. Um, I love Emily really? Blunt. She's she's, she's one of my favorite uh, actress. Period. So I was surprised that she. I I guess I don't know what it would be. She also has kind of that career where it's like, well, yeah, she doesn't have a ton of like oscar level kind of things again especially the way they've been doing them recently but i was surprised like i guess like sicario even maybe she didn't get a nom for or something but yeah to me she's she's got to be standout america Ferrara was good but hey i guess yeah as much as like it just got through saying i'm not really surprised that margot robbie didn't get a best picture nom mm-hmm. i guess it's more surprising that i'm or i'm uh, sorry a best actress it's probably more surprising to me that america ferrara would get best supporting actor mm-hmm not to put them against each other in that way, but I guess I thought that I was more impressed by Margot Robbie's performance than America for. I'd have to agree. Spade a spade there, you know. Absolutely. Um, but the only other one we saw was the holdovers, right? And Divine yeah. J. Randolph is quite good in that. But She's quite good. I don't know. Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer kicked ass. She really did. That, the her interrogation whatever thing, right? I mean, that's one of the best things of the whole movie. Absolutely. The, like, whoa, holy shit! Well, she really gets them, <laughs> you know. Two and a half plus hours in, and she rolls up, and you're just like, "Holy shit! Oh my god! I don't like the question." <laughs> Love that man. Come That's on. a great scene. So, yeah, that I, that would be my my vote. Oh yeah. So probably start with the Oscars then. Uh, I know Barbie also got best adapted screenplay, which that does go to Greta Gerwig, so she's got that going for her. Yeah. Um, and people were annoyed by that because they, I guess, they thought it should be original. It's based on something else. Well, of course it is. I don't know. It's just people who try to invent Barbie for this. Well, right. And obviously, the st- it's like pretty loose, right? Compared to some of these other ones, like Oppenheimer, American Fiction, right? Which are directly based upon books, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or any of these. Poor Things, Zone of Interest, all those. Yes, Barbie is much looser, right? In the sense that it's, yeah, it's just kind of the concept of Barbie. But still, it's pretty obvious that... yeah. It's building off something that's already existing. Yeah, right. So, Well, we can hang a tag out of that then, it sounds like. Into, what do I do next? Let's do one of these. All right, we'll do we'll do American Fiction. We saw that one. We know it. So, American Fiction, uh, as we just went through, up for quite a few itself, and um, mm-hmm. we went to see it this week. Uh, yes, we did. So, this stars Jeffrey Wright, who I've said bef- I've claimed before to, to be our uh, the patron saint of our show. Just because he's in a lot of stuff I like. He seems to be a swell guy. He's a swell despite, guy. Despite that gold mine in Africa or whatever. Don't uh, look too too much into that one. Don't, don't look at the gold mine. Just focus. He's, he does a fun... He's the watcher. Isn't that fun? That, that's the thing. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, he, he's willing to do a lot of roles in, in these different things like that. And he also... Is, he seems to really put his effort into it. And I, I really respect that. That's really cool that he can do stuff like this, but then he'll also be in James Bond, but he'll try, right? Or he'll be in The Watcher, and I think he really does try, right? He'll be in a voice city. a goofy Marvel cartoon, and I think he, I think he really gives his, his all, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I saw so. I, I an interview um, with the cast about this movie um, after we saw it, and that was one of the things I, uh, it was, it was his, his co-star there, Sterling K. Brown, and he was like, Jeffrey Wright's like an actor's actor. He's like an actor that other actors want to be. <laughs> and I was like, man, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. But anyways, so he stars as Monk uh, something. Monk I'll last check. name. I'll check his novel. Uh, and he's a Ellison. novelist. What is it? Alex Ellison. Thelonious Ellison. Ellison. Yeah. Monk, Monk Ellison, um, who's a writer who writes a book. Or who's, well, 
really what it is is he's written lots of books and they're not very popular he, he writes like weird esoteric um mythology based things that are kind of really hard to read and not very accessible for your average person and he's an, a also a uh professor at a college and basically he's kind of mean of, he's a bit mean he's a bit ornery but he's got a bunch of uh family drama that unfolds and in the midst of it all he decides to write a novel uh that is satirizing um sort of what he sees exploitation like, models yeah like black exploitation pandering um literature that like seems to exist to appeal not to actual like black people but to white people white who want to feel like they're getting this authentic real gritty depiction of it and he inadvertently um actually sells it and it becomes popular and it kind of gets out of his control while he's dealing simultaneously with all that that family drama um so i really liked this yeah i liked I it too. i thought it was good it was very very funny i found uh, thought that was super good, and you know Jeffrey Wright does, and, and the whole cast is really good to sell the, all the comedy of it. I would say, um, and it certainly is quite uh, thought provoking as well. I would think with all the, the politics stuff, mm-hmm. and I think it does a good uh, job in having it bite him in the ass too. Like it kind of his own satire points back at him. Like it it it, it reveals like the the darker parts of his own personality and his worldview that he doesn't like to accept. Um, which is always I like, which I appreciated. I liked, uh, and I think the I think there's enough. There's, there's some pretty dramatic parts and some kind of heavy stuff in this, but I never feel the comedy like undercuts it at all. Like it's usually like, all right, here's the dramatic part, and then we're done with the dramatic part, and then now we can do a comedy part, or it's right, or, or it's never so dramatic that like we need to have a comedy part that we can kind of slip it in and it won't ruin everything. Yeah, I think that I feel like the mo- the funniest kind of most absurd comedy stuff is relegated to the the book plot whereas then it kind of the the movie mostly alternates between the book plot and then like the family stuff mm-hmm. and so yeah that that's where you get the more dramatic stuff and then you can have the, the funny stuff in terms of like he's talking to his editor or his his publicist or his agent or whatever the hell it is and and then they're talking to like film execs in Hollywood for about you know and those provide a lot of uh the comedy and then yeah he'll get home and he's dealing with his mother like onset of Alzheimer's and it's, you know, quite harrowing. And then it's back and it's like, whoa, they want to meet you. You know, you're not real. <laughs> I'm not called the book. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, again, I, like I said, I was surprised by just how funny it was to be quite mm-hmm. hilarious. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's also pretty dramatic. It's quite heartfelt. It's nice. At a few points I would say. So after we saw it earlier this week, I was so taken by it that I went and, um, I actually listened to the whole audiobook of Erasure by Percival something, uh, mm-hmm. which is the novel upon which American fiction is based. Mm-hmm. Uh, Percival Everett is his name, Erasure. And um, that, that stood out to me as, as one of the big points of difference in this adaptation is that the movie is, is funnier, right? Not that the um, book is without comedy. Mm. But it's definitely funnier. It definitely leans more into the absurdity of it, and it's like these these goofy, almost like caricatures of of people that he interacts with, right? Yeah, he's uh, whatever the publisher and the and the film exec and all that. We're just like, yeah, just absolute like caricatures of of these this particular type of like white liberal kind of person that they're trying to portray. Um, and it also is kind of nicer. Basically, the movie is um, it's more 
I would say probably a little more accessible um, and and kind of like a, a more feel good sort of ending and message to it all mm-hmm. that the book doesn't necessarily have. Oh. How does the book end? Um, it ends in in mostly the same way. It ends with him at the the award thing and he's accepting the award, right? Mm-hmm. And then it ends for like you really see how that plays out exactly. He gets up to the mic and it's like cuts to black kind of thing. Right, right. But just throughout, there's a lot more like basically like all of the interpersonal relationships in the movie, I would say, are less kind of good in the book, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, less, less positive. He doesn't have, there's no like resolution to his brother at all, right? Um, the book ends with him, the last mention of his brother is that he can't get his, a hold of his brother on the phone and he thinks maybe his brother died. Oh. Uh, you know, his destructive lifestyle. Whereas in the movie, that just kind of like gets resolved without any action, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, hey man, you're kind of spiraling and maybe being destructive and you're clearly addicted to uh, drugs and alcohol. Uh, but nothing happens. Like the Lorraine just says like a nice, like, oh, you're part of the family. And he's like, ah, I'm cured. Um, yeah, fix me. So I, I was like, okay. But seeing that contrast, I, I it does kind of stand out. Um, his brother is also just in it less generally, I would say. He's mm-hmm. less of a character. Uh, the Lorraine stuff is the same way. Like that wedding doesn't have this 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 very nice like cathartic moment for um for some reason they change his name. His name's Bill in the book, but he's not present. And the wedding almost goes very poorly because his mother has an episode where she says Lorraine is just out for money. Oh, and it caused the whole wedding because Maynard's children he has adult children who don't like Lorraine and don't want the wedding to happen. So it's much more dramatic and. In that way, in general, he they have a less positive relationship with Lorraine. I would say, same with the with the girlfriend character whose name I'm failing to remember. I'll check. Hold uh, on, check her name. They it ends. The relationship ends in a similar way, and it also was never like nothing ever else comes of that. He does never talk to her again. Or Coraline, I believe her name is Coraline. Yeah, that's it. Um, but that also just happens in a it it happens while they're having sex instead of just at the dinner table. Wow. He, like looks over, like they're literally in bed, and he's like, "What's that book?" what are you doing? Are you an idiot? And like makes her cry and stuff. I don't know. I would say it's just a little bit rougher around the edges. The book, you know, mm-hmm. towards the end, he contemplates suicide. Like it's, it's just a bit heavier, I guess. And it's less like, yeah, I don't know. It seems less concerned with having a nice ending. Um, but you know, towards the end of the book or the movie, rather, he, um, has this conversation with, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to remember her name because her name's also different in the book, but Issa Rae's character, who is this? The author who wrote the uh, the book, which kind of Centara. There you go. Um, and she wrote the book, uh, which he's set him down this whole path. She wrote Wee's Lives in the Ghetto, which he finds to just be everything that he disliked. Like we were saying, right? This pandering, uh, offensive, like stereotyping type thing. Um, but in the m- movie, right, he's able to have a conversation with her, and like you said, he he kind of comes around and realizes that like the shortcomings of his own. Um, kind of worldview and then perhaps he was putting some things onto it that weren't that necessarily there mm-hmm. and he was kind of you know he had the he has ascribed like the worst possible intentions to her right and to that book which maybe wasn't quite fair and it causes him to change and like he's like oh i'm gonna and you know he has that he has that classic movie moment of right of like oh i'm gonna do better and i need to get all my ducks in a row now and i know what i gotta do kind of thing right mm-hmm. That doesn't, you know, there's nothing like that in the book. He just kind of gets real sad about it. Like I said, he's contemplating suicide, and then it ends. So she's oh, she's geez. not in, she's not in the in the panel of judges with him in the book. 
So they don't have this moment where he's like, oh, I actually agree with her. And she's clearly a reasonable, smart person. And all these assumptions I made were maybe unfounded. So, yeah, like I said, it's just in general, it's like a little bit less happy and nice, I suppose. Um, Mm -hmm. In addition to having like... It's got all these asides um, often that are like beginning the chapters with uh, about fly fishing and or woodworking, which are amongst hobbies in the book. And they're obviously like these these metaphors, right, for life or whatever situations going on. Right. Yeah. Which obviously weren't able to make it into the movie. But that's that's a lesser. There's also lots of Latin. No. That I don't I don't know Latin, so I don't know what they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also these asides i can't really it's it's hard because i listen to the audiobook so it's hard to like understand the formatting at times right what's exactly like how this would be presented on a page but there's also these weird little sides which are these imagined conversations between different artists right oh like it'll be like you know i don't think it's a real one but you just just for example oh sake, it'll be like it'll be like andy warhol says to you know Andrew Pollack, what are you thinking? What, what's what do you call this? And he's like, I call it art. And he's like, you call that art? Or, or, I don't know. It'll be shit like that. We're just but with all kind of different characters throughout. And I don't really understand what those were going for. So it's a bit more. I mean, it's 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 a you know, it is a book. It's quite literary at times. Um, oh yeah. So oh oh, this is a big one actually. Um, which plot wise, not as consequential necessarily, but almost tonally, it's it's. I feel like it's a big deal. Is that his sister in the book does not. She does not have a heart attack. She's assassinated by, like, an anti-abortionist. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which, in 2001, right, when the book Erasure came out, that was, like, a very topical, hot-button kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for as much as abortion has, like, come back around full circle and is, once again, like, unfortunately, a, a topical kind of issue, right? Um, that, in partic- that particular type of phenomenon, right, is not something we really hear of anymore. Um, right. But it was, it, like, unfortunately quite common in the 90s for, like, nurses and doctors and stuff who worked at those clinics to be, like, shot and stuff. Yikes. It kind of makes sense. I think, that's, I think they probably made the change maybe as, like, a tonal decision, but probably just as much for, like, realism. Again, because that's just not a thing you hear of in 2023 again. Yeah. For Again, for as much as, like, abortion's a thing in, in the news that we still hear about a lot, it's that particular stuff doesn't, it's not a thing, so. But that's that's a weird a difference in tone for the whole book, I would say. It's just a, it's just a, like I said, it's just a bit grimmer. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like so, it. I do think there's something, I don't know, almost ironic about that, though, in the sense that this is a book about an artist who sells himself out, right? Mm. Um, and in the film adaptation of it, it, I don't want to say dumbed down, but it's a bit, it's changed in a way to make it, I think, a bit more palatable for a wider to, audience. For a wider audience, yeah. And I think that's. I don't know. It's certainly interesting, right? <laughs> See what I mean? Like, yeah. we'll be all about being like, well, what if you, what if a guy sold out his morals and didn't, you know, his his artistic integrity? And then it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say the movies without artistic integrity. I just thought it was an interesting observation. Yeah, for sure. I did see the writer say that um he had person. So Cord Jefferson wrote and directed it. It's, it's actually his debut, which I thought was quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had. Percival Everett um, come see a screening of it, and he said he liked it. So that's good as long as he liked it. Yeah, he said that he liked that it felt like a different. It did feel like a different piece of art, which I think depending on the guy and like I'm, you know, knowing nothing about the guy, obviously I'll choose to take it in the best light. But I feel like that could be a backhanded compliment depending on who it came from, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) A certain certain amount, some some artists would definitely uh, 
say that with the with sp- well spit spit it out of their mouth like poison, depending <laughs> right? on the thing. Mm, I like how you've taken what I did and made it entirely different. Mm. A different thing that isn't about me. Separate yourself right. from this. I actually completely agree. I think that general, obviously, the the plot is very much intact, and and the general kind of ideas of the movie are or the the story are certainly there. But I do think it's interesting that he, yeah, he made certain changes or, or you know, tonally. Like it's a it's a sort of discussion debate we've had a million times on this show, right? Like when you're adapting something, how much do you change or not? But I, I like this. Like it keeps the general idea of it all, right? But also adapts it and, and does make meaningful changes, I think, for the, the medium. And I think that's cool. You know, to, so then you have two different things that are both valuable on their own, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've, I've, I've talked a lot here. What do, what, do you, what do you have to say about American fiction? Um, well, like I said, I, I did enjoy um, the comedy and the, how it separates the two. Um, I think it mixes all those elements very well. And I think it is, is, is a strong film because of it. Um, all the stronger. Um, I think that the ending, I do like the ending, how it has that alternate. Um, it goes for a very easy ending, I guess, of like cutting the black. And it's like, actually, and you know, it's actually, that, that's how the book ends. It's that how is, the book ends. Like, I think it's a good end for a book, but I think for this particular movie and what, and because it's a little different, as you said, from the book and toned down a little nicer, I think this slightly more open ended and positive spin to it. Uh, I think is all the better. Uh, I, I thought that everybody, all the performances were good. I thought the like the the bouts of like his mother's Alzheimer's was very like intense and kind of harrowing. Um, with like when she's running off on the beach and is like, oh, they're like she see she thinks she sees uh, his sister out in the water with their cousins. He's like, no, come on, like I'll get them. We just got to get you back. Like he kind of he does he, he realizes he can't. Yeah, like tell the, her she's wrong because it's not going to work. He has to like play along. In the book, she she rows herself out into the water in like the boat. Oh my! And I think he has to like swim out and retrieve her. She went. Like I said, it's it's even more harrowing. Like I said, the the wedding one is probably the, one of the biggest ones where she has an episode at at their wedding and like locks herself in the bathroom and is kind of freaking out and and almost <laughs> ruins their wedding. Which again, in the movie, that was just a very like simple and nice and sweet scene for mm-hmm. everybody. Not so in the in the book. No. But yeah, I thought um I agree. Like you said, uh I don't keep forgetting his name. Sterling K. J- Brown. J. Brown. Good, I thought. Uh like I said, he definitely had a a, a larger role than the or the book in the movie mm. He's got <laughs> I think his interaction with the their neighbor guy at, at the sister's funeral is one of my favorite Oh, that's very maybe, funny. It's maybe my favorite uh Jeffrey Wright line as well. <laughs> What's this guy? Is it Cliff or Clyde or something? No, the brother's name is Cliff. What's oh, that? Here, I'll find it. I got Letterbox pulled up for this very purpose. Um, that, whole, that clip is like on TikTok. Oh, is it? That's funny. Philip. <laughs> He's like, I will beat your ass, Philip. Is that Philip? That butter vest. <laughs> is that Philip? Oh, what a piece of shit. And then as he, that's my favorite. Is like as he's because he's like, you want to beat your ass? He's just like very outwardly like aggressive to fill up he's like you don't get to talk to me like that and he's like i will feed you that sweater vest <laughs> and as he's walking away jeffrey Wright just kind of like under his breath is like you always wear a douchebag as he's <laughs> jumping the imagery of it and as he yeah and he just kind of like understatedly under his breath it's just like he always was a douchebag like i, I find it very funny so yeah like i said quite good that, that's probably the the biggest strength of it all again they they definitely made it more into a comedy a little bit more feel good 
which I think is fine. Like I said, I think the general idea of it is still preserved. Um, obviously, the criticism of that type of thing. I guess the difference is that, yeah, maybe in the movie, he also learns a lesson instead of just being like, I showed them how smart I was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of feeling bad about the, the way it backfires. In this one, he has a mechanism, sort of, right, to, to try to make it better, fix things, right? You know, the way he chooses to do the, the movie thing, right? Yeah. And, and change it to, to reflect reality and not just take the money kind of thing, so... Yeah, and again, it ends with him like driving off with his brother, and they seem to be in a good place. Which again, they're not in the book, so that's nice. Yeah, but yeah, I was very impressed with this. He like said, "I love Jeffrey Wright. I thought he was delightful. Thought the whole thing was very fun." Um, oh, one of the one of the things we didn't talk about. So the scene where he's writing um, my pathology, right, which then becomes fuck. <laughs> um, that's got uh, Keith David and another guy whose name I I don't I don't know off the top of my head, but. Uh, that seems really interesting, I think, because it's, it is quite compelling, right? So they're playing out a scene that's directly from the book as well. And, um, again, the whole point is that he has written this book, right? This novel to be a parody of itself, right? A parody of these, of what he perceives these other books as being, right? Mm-hmm. A, again, just basically a mockery that he thinks should be like self-evident to anyone, right? That's kind of how it all gets out of control is he's like, no, they should know. And if not, then screw them kind of thing. And it turns out none of them do. Right? Yeah, I'm get the no joke. One... And it's actually very lucrative for him. The FBI um, gets involved at some point. <laughs> so again, the thing is, it's supposed to be basically a parody, right? It's it's not meant to be taken seriously. Um, and yet I think the scene is compelling, right? And and I saw Jeffrey Wright and um oh my god I did it again what's his name Sterling K Brown Brown thank you uh they both they both said in separate interviews I saw they both said that like they think that's one of the best scenes of the movie for the same reason is that it's supposed to be it's supposed to be funny right it's supposed to be comical how how over the top it is right and yet the, they perform it so well that it still it ends up being still like compelling and kind of like mm-hmm. serious right and that's maybe the one of the ideas of this whole movie right again is that that it's what monk himself has to learn i guess at a certain point right is that maybe there is something to these that he's not seeing willing or able to see which i think is interesting yeah the other person's name in that scene is it's a very hard name to pronounce and i don't know if i'll pronounce my white tongue very well but it's oki erete on oadoan i probably fucking butchered that poor man's name yeah. and i apologize What's he been? Uh, let's see. Hamilton, A Quiet Place Part Two, Person to Person, Hamilton's America. Thanks for sharing. Oh, is he? Does it say who he is in Hamilton? Is he Hercules' I'll, mother? I'll look. Hold on. Yes, he is. And James Madison. I guess okay. I guess I did recognize him. Now that you say that. Uh, and cool. his his character's name is Van Gogh Jank. Uh, yeah, Van Gogh. Yeah. And then Keith David is Willie the Wonker. Yep. So that's the kind of thing, right? Like. It's so over the top. So the thing is, the interesting thing is, in the book, actually, the entirety of my pathology is published within the novel, start to finish. You get to read the whole thing. Really? Yeah. It's it's quite short. Obviously, it's like eight chapters or something. It's like a it's really a novella, if anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you get to read the whole thing, and it is pretty over the top. But it's I think the same thing happens, and maybe I'm just an idiot, gullible uh, rube of a man. I don't know, <laughs> but possible. the same <laughs> the same thing started to happen where I'm like, okay. It's ridiculous and it's absurd, and it very much does play into like all the worst stereotypes, right, about black people in America. And 
at the same time, it is at times still kind of compelling. Like you're you're still interested enough to see, and it's almost like yeah, I guess I can see how people would, you know. But it is continue. It is funny how continuously throughout it, everyone's just like, man, this is so real. <laughs> this is so true. No one could. And there's a, and it happens in both the book and the movie where he's like, oh, you think some some college person, some college educated dude could write that? And, and no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think they could. And no, I don't think so at all. That's the irony of it all. Yeah, I do think so. Many funny. people insist that it has to be real and it had to be written by someone who lived it, kind of thing. Yeah, no one could have ever made this up. There's a bunch of scenes I'm watching, like '90s movies, where just a bunch of black guys being gangsters, and he's like, "That's all we are. It's all it is." So he's constantly exposed to it. Exactly, and that's the, that's the whole crux of this movie is that everyone expects, you know, is trying to put him into this box of like, "Well, you're black, and your struggles must be this and that," right? Mm-hmm. When the reality is, he ha- and he says as much in the movie, right? He has lots of struggles. He has quite a messed up life in a lot of ways, and almost none of it actually relates back to the f- whether he's black or not, right? Yeah. You know? And a lot of ways, he lives he lives a very privileged life for just a person, right, in America, regardless of mm-hmm. race. His, you know, father and grandfather were doctors. They have, like, you know, he grew up having a summer home and shit. Like, he, him and his siblings are all, like, you know, doctors. Or, well, he's a, you know, he has a doctorate. Um, they're literal doctors, and they went to Ivy League schools and all this, and it's like, yeah, in a lot of ways, he has an incredibly privileged life, and yet he still has his own kind of issues, right? Obviously, his mother has Alzheimer's. That's not something that, you know, rich or poor, ultimately, that's not something you, you're going to fix kind of. With money, you, know? yeah, you can just throw money at that problem. Yeah, and it's not what certain people, like, that, that this movie's being critical of, right, would would think of as being a, a black problem, and yet he's a black guy, and it's happening to him, right? So mm-hmm. I, I do think it's pretty interesting, and basically, I saw... Um, Cord Jefferson, who again is the he he adapted it for um the, for the for for screen here, and he's the director of it. And he basically just said like he likes the idea that if people are, are entertained by it and are able, you know, it also causes them to um examine their politics a little. Then mm-hmm. he feels he's uh he's done his job. And I think for I'll say for me at least, it it certainly did that. I'd say so. So with that, we could probably I could take out of American fiction into. Which one? What else? What do I do? I do Percy Jackson. Sure, Percy Jackson, episode seven. We find out the truth, sort of. Not a big fan of this one, Jacko. Didn't think so. No, I found this to be one of the the weaker entries thus far. I'll say. Yeah, I got to. I, well, I think I gotta... it's got some, it's got its high points. Don't get me wrong, but overall, um, I don't mean it's a it's a tad like. A boring. I was surprised by little ended up happening. Um, yeah, they don't do much. I didn't like Hades very much. That's like the place or the the guy. The guy. Well, so let's do the place first because they get there before they get to him, right? The underworld. I found the underworld to be much less compelling than um, it could have been. Oh, well, well, we start with the mattress guy, like we talked about last week. Yeah. So he's there. We knew he was coming. Krusty. Well, I guess I'm not sure they would. I kind of, you know, I guess there was no guarantee that it was coming, but it is. They they, they squeeze him in there. They they dispatch him. Uh, in the opening scene of the episode, which I think is fine, it's kind of fun. Yeah. So they get him. Yeah, because I mean, what we talked about last week in the book, it's kind of a weird thing where like Percy knows all these stories, but he can't see them for when they occur before his very eyes until they're happening. In this book, he's like, "Well, I'm, yeah, you're crusty. You sell beds like Procrustus, who killed Hercules with a bed." And he's like, "Well, I couldn't be water beds. Couldn't I interest you?" Exactly. So I think that's an interest. I think that's a good change. Honestly, I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, so then we intercut this whole episode with uh, flashback scenes of Sally 
and young Percy, right? And these different uh, episodes sort of from his childhood and, and sort of the, some of the tough times they went through and, and, the, and the relationship they had, right? Which this is by far the best stuff in the episode. Um, super compelling. Um, Sally Jackson, uh, I, I should look it up what her, who her actor actually is, but incredible, right? Oh, she yeah, does she a, really does a very good job, good job. For, the, for this role. Um, I, saw, I think I saw, I saw, I think it was TikTok. It was, oh, this is going to be impossible to explain. You know, the TikTok where it's like all the audio is jumbled and everyone's arguing and then like everyone speaks <laughs> simultaneously on one point and then goes back to arguing. It's like, it's the German, like it's entirely possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that one. There you go, exactly. So it was that. And it was like all the different complaints that people might have about the series, but then the one everyone agreed on is Sally Jackson was cast super well. And I and I totally right. agree. I agree. Her scenes were strong. She gets a lot of that desperation out. Yeah. And it's And boy is she desperate. Boy is she. I can see why. Um but so then they actually get to uh the underworld here. Her name's Virginia Cull. She's known for Big Little Lies, The Looming Tower, and Boardwalk Empire. I've heard of Boardwalk Very, Empire. Me too. You never heard of Big Little Lies? It's on HBO. Maybe. Anywho, um, I, f- I just found it uninteresting. I don't know. I, I remember, like, I feel like much more lip service was given in the books to, like, all the different interesting individuals who live down there, right? You know, they meet the one of the judges. Yeah. Isn't it, like, Ben Franklin and shit? Like, yeah. Because the underworld in the the ancient Greek conception of it was, it's, it's more nuanced, right? It wasn't just, like, we conflated, I think, often with hell. our, like, yeah, our judeo-christian kind of upbringing is like oh it's just hell it's just kind of fire and brimstone and it's where everyone with the bad people go when they die but the thing about the underworld in the greek conception of it is that everyone went there when they died right yeah so there's good spots and bad spots and and the middling you know, spots you, yeah there's middling spots and you're judged and there's there's you know some of the most famous people who've ever lived and, and lived great lives get to get to preside over that and, and judge who who is or isn't good and all that and i just don't think there was well, there really wasn't much of that at all. Yeah, we didn't get to see Sisyphus. What the hell? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, or what's his name? Getting his getting the fruit. What's that guy's name? I don't know his name, but he shows. I mean, he'll probably show up. Well, maybe he won't actually. Who knows? I can't eat the fruit and he can't drink the water. Yeah, he he becomes a camp counselor. He does. He does. That's a good point. So maybe he'll be in. He's supposed to be in the next book, I think. Right. So I think I think they removed Dionysus for some reason. Yeah, I don't remember either. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't. I mean, Sharon's in this. Sharon, Sharon. How are we supposed to say him? The guy from John Wick, you get it. Yeah, you get it. The one who carries you into the underworld. It's a, it's, a, it's quite a fun, fun uh, metaphor type thing. Yeah, yeah they know he's not dead, and like, hey, you guys aren't dead. Oh, let's get Cerberus. They get the coins, and Cerberus is there, and then Annabeth um distracts Cerberus, but like the whole time she's just absent for the rest of the episode or whatever. Um, that's no, she like the... she like gets herself. She like teleports out. No, I know, but like she removes herself from the rest of the episode. I'm saying, like in oh, the book, yeah. In the book, she just she's able to distract him, and then they and then they continue on together. And this one, she she takes herself out of the plot here quite early on, which right? I found strange. Yeah, well, it seems like just an unnecessary change. Like it doesn't really amount. Also, to all like that Grover immediately loses one of the pearls, so now they're like, oh, and now we're down to three immediately. It's like, well, why yeah. would you even have four? That's and that's what we said, right? We yeah. couldn't remember. Did we ever decide on that? I don't think we did. I think we were like it, the movie had three. Had or what? Yeah. Um. So yeah, that plays all that all plays out, and then more flashbacks. Again, the flashbacks are super compelling. Don't get me wrong, but them just like kind of plodding through the underworld. I I didn't feel like I them walking through the big sand. All the what's with all the sand? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like I feel like we we swapped out some perhaps compelling stuff. Um, because there's supposed to be this big field, right? 
What's yeah. that called? Oh, the fields where all the like middling people go. Yeah, it's all like the middling people. It's like if you if you're judged to be evil or good or or maybe it's not even judged yet or some, some, some purgatory you, place. You like yeah, walk around aimlessly. You just wander around and you don't you don't really get to do anything. And it's like that would all be cool just to see, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're here for. It's the Greek mythology type stuff, right? So I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I like, I totally agree. What 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 is the fucking sand? What was that f- supposed to be? We got the one woods full of people who regret stuff, but was that in the book? I don't remember that. It feels oh, like yeah. they're doing like a Dante's Inferno thing where like everybody gets a punishment, but like that's yeah. not how the underworld works in Greek mythology. That's what I thought. So not uh, again, not super impressed by any of the underworld stuff in the oh, it's the oh, the Elysian Fields or Elysium. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. That's where the heroes go. That's yeah, that, that would be. This says his mourning fields. That's a section where people who spent their life pursuing love for a person who did not reciprocate it went after judgment. Damn. That'd be a sad place. Gonna be like, you, no bitches. <laughs> I mean, it's the Asphodel fields. Oh, the Asphodel metals. Meadows. It's one of the main three divisions of the underworld. Oh, the majority of ordinary souls were sent after death. It was one of the three main divisions where righteous souls were granted were in Elysium. Tartarus, where vicious souls were granted eternal punishment. In his Odyssey, Homer locates the field of his father close to the land of dreams. He refers to them as the dwelling place of the spirits of men who have abandoned their earthly land. So there you go, yeah. That, which like in the book is described as just like a bunch of people just walking in a wandering circle. around in like a big field. So that would have been cool to see again. What is this desert? What is this? Dune? Yeah, like the, the sunrise is beautiful on my planet Arrakis. Like, okay. The sunrise is beautiful on my planet, the underworld? What the heck? Percy Jackson and the Harkonnens? Yeah, 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 I mean, I guess it's... Is that Tartarus? Because that's where the hole is that tries to get him? Yeah, that's Tartarus. The Tartarus is the hole, not the desert, though, right? Is that, is that yeah, where the take? hole is it? And they get the thing where they're like, oh, shit, the, the bolt was in here the whole time. What the hell? Like, it appears in there, though. Like, it's not there. It's right. not... I think that's kind of how it happens in the book, as I recall. Just, like, pops up? Yeah, somehow. Again, another, another flashback scene. She's really going through it because Percy is being kind of difficult. You get, though. He's, he's going through it as well. It's a tough time for everybody involved. And then we're here at uh, Hades' um, minimalist, rugged, brutalism palace. Yeah, boring, right? I gotta say, I prefer, I was thinking all the time, like, man, I like the way the movie did it way better. Huh? Yeah, this is, that's, that's honestly one point. I think we gotta give it to him. Please do. You know what this might be? This might be some volume shit or something. Yeah. Here's the thing. It, this is an interesting fact that I also learned this week, which maybe poisoned me against this this episode from the start, Jack. Yeah, I kind of had been assuming this whole time that it was like a a moderately budgeted, you know, children's TV show because that's well, that's technically exactly what it is. No, yeah, I would hope. It turns out this is like this costs the same as like a season of The Mandalorian, huh? Why? This is also like fifteen million an episode, eight episodes, fifteen million a piece, just like The Mandalorian. And I was like, what? the fuck right like yeah this does not have mandalorian juice to it you know do you get that sense at all watching these like i think it looks fine and it looks perfectly um serviceable you know serviceable for what it is exactly but um i don't think it's got mandalorian level quality i would never have guessed it costs 15 million a pop dude no because some of them are like you're filming like a forest right or like you're walking down the road in a diner for half the episode you're paying nobody. You're paying three children. You don't have to pay them at all. You're Disney. You barely have to pay them anything. It's insane. Like, where is this money going? I can't even. It's like, going to Rick. Big Ricky's getting this money. I hope Big Ricky's getting his cut. <laughs> Good on it. But 
It's got more than Nico D'Angelo books. Look, like that's insane, right? I saw that, and the comparison was all like The Mandalorian, fifteen apiece, right? Game of Thrones used to be like eleven apiece, right? Like season seven, the big loot train dragon battle. That was an eleven million dollar episode. The Battle of the Bastards was like an eleven million dollar episode. Like what the most ep- walk through sand, eleven million dollars. Fifteen, Jack. Fifteen, 15. million. Jesus. Yeah, the Battle of the Bastards, one of the most epic, sweeping, grand scale episodes of television ever made, perhaps. And now that, that was what? Yeah, I guess fuck nearly a decade ago now. But I don't think things have actually changed so dramatically then. I mean I guess I could be wrong. They gotta put the kid from the Adam Project part of fifteen million dollars. Right, like, because that was by the point in the hunger or the the Game of Thrones there, where they were they were making like a million a piece. Those oh, yeah. big ones, Danny, John, all of them were getting like you know, Kit Harrington, Amelia Clark were getting like tons per episode. So the cast is not going to be a budgetary factor here for this show. It just can't be, right? No way. So I do not know where that money's going. Especially when you get episodes like this where it's like, we wander in a dark forest, we wander in a desert. Like, was this, was this the budget-saving episode? Like, they got to towards the end and they're like, fuck, we've whiffed it. <laughs> we are out of budget, fellas. Yeah, episode 8 is going to have to be real stark. We're going to have to do six scenes of Sally and Percy in diners. Yeah, we got to put Lumen Miranda in a hoodie. That'll... What? That's really... What is it? So that's... the Is that silk hoodie made by the rarest look on Earth? What the fuck? So... Yeah, I don't know, man. That, that made me feel some kind of way, I gotta say. Yeah, it makes you feel on some kind of way. On to Hades here. So you said you didn't like Hades. No. Think he's too funny or whatever? Yeah, I guess I guess. also I'm thinking, like, remembering how he was in the movie. It's been a while since I've read the books. So I'm like, well, in the movie, he was more, like, imposing because he's Hades. He's supposed to be. He, like, does that thing where he becomes fire, like fucking Hercules Hades does. Say, so look at my true form or whatever. I'm like, that's fun. But this Hades <laughs> is just, like... I got the helm, buddy. Hey, hey, little little pal, little nephew of mine. Ooh, meet my kids in the casino. Oh, no, you didn't. That's a season three thing. Ah. It's like, what? Shut up, bro. What? <laughs> I didn't mind it, to be honest with you. Didn't hate it. I thought he was kind of fun. I was like, they're doing this little, something a little different with Hades here. He's kind of fun. Um, fun. And especially because I think it I think it definitely plays up the twist of this, of this book slash season, right? Being that he's not behind it at all. Although... I would say they they definitely they emphasized that less in this season, didn't they? Yeah. Than I think they did in the first book. They they've been kind of setting the. I feel like they were planting the the uh, Chrono seeds and stuff earlier, especially because Percy figures that out in this episode. Um, this this show seemed less interested in leading you on in terms of the series. Yeah, it seemed less interested in doing that and basically just being like, well, no, it's pretty obvious that it's not going to actually be him. That they're on a bit of a fool's quest here, so. I guess that's fun, but yeah, I think it undercuts that, right? Or not undercuts it, but under underlines it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, look at Hades is not some master schemer who is trying to screw his brothers over. He's he's kind of just almost uh, more or less a victim here as well. I mean, he is a victim, right? The the powers that be that have orchestrated all this wanted all three of them to get embroiled in a war that they didn't want to be a part of and kind of destroy each other, right? So, mm-hmm. I think that works, right? For him to just be like, "Hey, man, I don't I don't really know what's going on." Yeah. I Why thought you the bolt anyway, actually. Now that I've got the bolt, might as well keep it here, huh? I thought you had my hat, and I know one of you is invisible, so kind of figured it was you who stole my hat. So why don't you just give me that back, and we can be done with it. Huh? What do we... my, ma- my super cool invisible hat. No, back, please. You're just going to leave. All right, well. Oh, fuck. Is Persephone here? I don't know. 
Yeah, Persephone, no appearance from Persephone. That was interesting, eh? It, te- it's, it is technically summer, so she wouldn't be there. Oh, is that how it is in the first book? Is I can't remember. Book? I can't remember if she's there or not. She's definitely Again. in the movie. I, she is in the movie because she's hot. I remember. <laughs> I remember. I remember that's like the whole point, and she's or something. Of course. Hence why Hades would have trapped her there. Right. I think you're right now that you now that you say that though. I, I don't think she was in the first book specifically. She maybe she appears at the fifth book when he goes into the river spoilers. Right. When he goes in the river sticks. Spoilers for a ten year old book. When he does a bit of Achilles. I think it's like nope. a fifteen year old book, dude. <laughs> Jesus. And he's and his speaking at fifteen, that's as old as he is in that book. He's older than that, surely, isn't he? No, he's like fifteen, sixteen. Here's the thing. He's yeah. in the new books, he's just graduating college. He's he's not even in college yet. Two thousand nine, Jacko. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but the Heroes of Olympus it takes place over a, a shorter time frame than the, because Percy Jackson does the Harry Potter thing, right? Where each book is like a new school year. Yeah, they don't do that for here's a, no here's Olympus is because a lot of them are happening concurrently. Yeah, and continuously, and then right, right back, back to back. Um, but anyway, so then we get into the actual last scene of the episode, which most compelling scene by far. Um, kind of redeems the whole thing, right? Um, again, these flashbacks were if if it weren't for those, if this was just straight up underworld. You know, underworld romp, horrible. It'd be really bad, actually. But mm. these are the saving grace. So, um, we cut back to to an earlier uh, scene of Percy and Sally, and, and like I said, they're having a bad time because Percy's being kind of difficult because they're both they're both tore up about it. And um, she goes to pay the bill, and then she drops her uh, drops a match into her milkshake to, to function as a as an offering to one of the gods. Uh, which one? Poseidon. Ooh. Apollo, I guess. No, <laughs> Artemis. <laughs> Just Artemis. Hey, what's hey, up? What's up? Oh, weren't, that wasn't. Uh, that wasn't. A, that wasn't no, for me. It's Poseidon. Poseidon rolls up. Um, we see him in 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 person for the first time in the show here, right? Which I think is cool because we've we've they've been dangling that carrot in front of us for several weeks in a row now, right? Yeah. It's like Percy gets Doctor Dad. Oh, oh, he was just here. I swear. Oh, jeez. Oh, and he had just missed him. Oh, jeez. So we actually see him. This is a fun reveal. It's like, whoa, what does Poseidon actually look like? And um, her and uh, or him and Sally have a pretty pretty full on talk, which I think was is interesting. Yeah, it was a good talk. With the uh, her her trying to keep it apart. I'm just like, man, I just want. Why can't he just meet you? Like he, I'm really struggling here. Like why can't he just go to camp? Like it'd be so much easier if he just went and did your world stuff. He's like, no, he can't, because that's the kind of the whole point. He has to be different. If he's, he has to stay as far away as possible for as long as he can. So he's end up like all those other fucking jerk offs in camp, like like Annabeth used to be, or maybe be evil like Luke or something. Well, spoilers, we don't know he's evil. We kind of know he's evil because he gave him the shoes, but whatever. Twenty year old book, read it or don't. Um. So yeah, I like that. It sucks that he obviously can't see him. Uh, at first, I couldn't tell if like I meant to think that he like slows down time or something or stops time but he just makes it rain a bit which is fun i guess yeah it's, it seems like it's just a storm rolls in and he rolls up and he's like hey what's up what's up because i thought it was like a storm father thing where he's like oh it makes time last longer and it's like a god thing but i mean i suppose it could is there really any indication that anyone else is is there no i guess not really there's no one else really around they glance over at Percy, but it's not like any at any point the waiter or the, or the like the waitress or, or hostess or whatever like no just everybody was like hey man here's here's your check <laughs> hey, I'm back you asked for this didn't you <laughs> who's this random ass dude do you want something <laughs> yeah can I get you anything or no okay no, okay they're rude fun so yeah I don't know it's weird that like they're presented as being so aloof such busy schedules normally you can't 
most people are, are most of these demigods are lucky if they've ever laid eyes on their parent once and then he, she, she just drops a match to a milkshake <laughs> I'm there I'm there I'm here man what's going on I got here as fast as I could because <laughs> like I don't know if there's supposed to be some if, even like approaching omnipotence surely they can show up when you need them right you would hope but that's the whole thing of the series I know God bless they're them. all bastards. <laughs> they're all the worst fucking people. But yeah, cool scene. Um, again, I do think it's interesting. Like Percy seems to have one of the best ads of them all. To be fair, mm-hmm. still doesn't necessarily count for a whole ton. Best of the worst is still kind of the worst. Yeah. Again, I still can't be like, oh, it's, your dad told me it's hard on us as parents to not be around, but we got to. Anyway, look yeah, at your other eight brothers who are within a year of you. <laughs> what do you mean it's hard? What do you mean you have to? Who says who? Just don't help out. <laughs> Couldn't you just make us with the mo- could aren't you gods? Can't you kill all the monsters? You'd think. Why can't you just make the monster why don't you make bigger zones of like monsters can't go there? Yeah, right? If you've made this whole camp that's like actually like, you know, completely monster proof, what if we just do that everywhere? <laughs> how come how come the place where Mount Olympus is isn't monster proof? How does that make any sense? Hmm. 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 Don't worry about it. How come you let a, a place exist where people get sucked in through time? Why do you let the Lotus Hotel? Why is Hermes in the Lotus Hotel? I still don't get that. That's not that's not too, too it's unclear to me. Percy Jackson lives like where does Percy Jackson live? Does he live in Queens or the Bronx? Yeah, he lives like Queens or something. He's still in quite cl- close proximity to Mount Olympus, as it were. Yeah, I think they would have better because it's like oh, Percy can't is an is an imminent danger if he <laughs> stays at home. He's in imminent danger of being eaten by a monster, or whatever the hell. It's like. He lives like a he lives like a bl- couple blocks over from from where you guys all live though. What the heck? Yeah, where Zeus is hanging out. Zeus never found him. Can't lock it down a bit. Yeah, can't hang out a bit. And then he's all like, you know what? I may not actually be in any meaningful uh, aspect of his life, but I'll be by his side when he needs me. Eventually, at some point. One time he has a sword fight, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, Poseidon. He's still in, uh, a bit iffy if you ask me, Jack. Jury's still out on him. Right, that's how I feel. Yeah, yeah, jury's still out. We'll have to see about this guy, but yes, we will. Um, he's gonna have a sword fight with Ares on a beach next, so we're getting right into it. Seems like because yeah, it's gonna be the end tomorrow, next week. On a beach, Ares is there. He's got a sword. So bada bing, bada boom. We're gonna see whoever plays Zeus, and they're gonna get there. They do a speech, and then we're gonna set up for a sea of monsters. Maybe it's, it's um, what's his name? Kenneth Branner. No, <laughs> Michael Douglas. No, Sharon from John Wick. Actually, I just mentioned him earlier. Oh, really? Yeah, that's tough. I know we we've definitely talked about this before. You said something. Did I? Perfect. God, yeah. I will not agree with myself. God, why can't we think of his name, Jack? Lawrence. Uh, no, Lawrence Fishburne. Jesus Christ. Um, Lance Reddick. Lance Reddick. He's got a cool. I forgot he had a cool name. That was such a cool name. Cool. Rest in peace to him, man. Rip the homie. Off. Um. So yeah, he's he's Zeus, I believe, if I remember correct. Very nice. Or I just made that up. We'll find out we'll next find week, listeners. Let's go. All right, another movie? Sure. We'll take that. All right, Back Attack, Jack. Back Attack. Poor things. The other one. The other Best Picture nominee, which we uh, happen to have just discussed previously. In the first... Uh, I saw it when it came out weeks ago. Well, and I Zach said, I don't really care for watching that film. Let's watch Rebel Moon. And then didn't watch Rebel Moon in time for the episode. Woo! I gotta say, um, I liked it more than I feared I would. Um, I did like it more than <laughs> Rebel Moon, so good for them. Good job, Emma Stone. You've you've 
produced a more interesting performance than what can be found. Rebel Moon. Part one. Part one. Child of Fire. Movie on Fire. You ought to be proud of that. <laughs> and you ought, to, you ought to win an award just for that. So I this movie this tells... based on a book. Yeah. yeah so I went to Barnes & Noble today. I saw a copy of it. Emma Stone's on the cover. I went, huh, that's huh, interesting. Wow, of course. Oh, I hate when they do that. Even for a good movie. Just don't do that. It's weird. It, it takes the timeless quality completely away from it, right? Yeah, because now it's it, like, it, look, it, actor from year. Grounds it very firmly in a specific place and time. Because in the future printings of that book, they're not going to continue to have Emma Stone on it, right? Mm-hmm. Very much means it's like, this is the 2023 version of Poor Things. It's silly. Uh, but yeah, so Poor Things is about, uh, I don't know, almost Frankenstein-esque uh, mad scientist guy. Played by re-anim- Hollywood's favorite little weirdo, Willem Dafoe. What a guy. And, and how weird is he in this one, eh? Odd. How how weird is he, Jack? Quite strange. Oh, weird. Uh, oh, weird. How weird is he? Um, and he reanimates a, a woman through uh, dubious means. And um, she, despite having the the woman, the body of an adult woman, uh, then uh, must must relearn and and and. Well, she's the brain of a an inf- of a fetus. The idea well, is that I was trying to be uh, obfuscated just a little bit, Jack. But I mean, yes. right on front of it. I'm the one for obfuscation. Fair enough. He uh, he takes he basically the the movie starts with Emma Stone's character, who I can't remember her name before she becomes Victoria. Belle. Was it? Victoria. Victoria. She commits suicide and jumps off a bridge. And then Willem Dafoe, Godwin, finds her and is like, oh, this is perfect. This is like a god, literal godsend. It's a all, like a freshly dead corpse, not even started to decompose yet. And there's like a fetus in here. So I'll, you know what I'll do? He says there's still, an, she's still an electrical current. That's nonsense, surely, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, pure, it's pure nonsense. Don't, it's, there's nothing like, yeah. Yeah. And so he takes her brain out and puts the the much smaller fetus infant brain, I mean infant fetus brain, inside her head, fucking slams that switch and brings her to life. And like I said, like Frankenstein, Frankenstein monster-esque uh, uh, situation, uh, which I think is also, I mean, it's very, uh, I was reading as well, the book very heavily alludes to, to Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. And um, obviously the setting being a Victorian England, but also like a steampunk weird Victorian England. Um, yeah, it's like a bunch of, it's like an alternate timeline kind of thing. It's like a oh, bunch of it's, it's ridiculous. They li- I mean, they literally have little steam powered carriages and and trolley car floating fucking what do you call those? Yeah, they're like lifts almost. I don't know, all kind of weird weird stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's basically just the uh, the story of how this this new person, uh, Bella. Uh, becomes a person. Yeah, learns what it is to be human and goes on this this globe trotting adventure where she of, of self discovery and all that gains sapience basically and what that uh, looks like and it's 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 pretty entertaining for the most part I would say. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I really like uh, the way this movie is shot. I think it's shot very interestingly. Uh, it starts out in black and white and turns into color. As time goes on, and I also liked uh, some of the fish eye camera stuff, or like uh, sometimes the f- the camera seems to lock on this. I only did it a couple times, but it'll lock on an actor, and like the camera will follow them only, so it gives it a, a, an interesting visual. Yeah. That's interesting, Jack. Very interesting. Very glad that you shared that take with me. I appreciate that. I appreciate your honesty in this matter. 
I personally actually disliked quite a bit of that. I found it was, I don't know, maybe I'm just a, um, I don't know, a, a bigger Zack Snyder fan than you thought. Just a, just a moron, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what I, <laughs> what, I didn't, I did not appreciate that very much. I found it a bit tedious, especially early on. I don't know. I, I had it. Cause like you said, um, I did tell you, I was not super interested in this movie as I was like, do I actually really want to see poor things? It's a bit weird. And I knew it was going to be weird. And I don't know. Listen, nothing wrong with a bit of weirdness, but I was like, do I really want to see this movie? Cause I was worried it was going to be a bit, well, a bit weird for the sake of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, oh, the, up to like the first act of this movie does not do much to disabuse me of that notion, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, I yeah, think it's, it's yeah. quite weird. It requires quite the buy-in from, from anyone flipping this one on you know mm-hmm. my uh my sister went to see this movie and she told me she's like oh i'm gonna go see this movie and i was like okay well and it was after i it was like a, it was a week or so ago two weeks mm-hmm. ago maybe and i was like mm-hmm. oh yeah i thought she's like what do you think and i was like oh it's pretty good i think you have uh, so i you think you should watch it she goes she comes back and she's like you didn't tell me that movie was gonna be so weird and i was like you didn't look you didn't know anything about it. she goes no i'm like I, she's, it's a weird movie i don't know what you want me for me and that's fair enough. I'll never. Hey, so, someone says movies too weird for me to watch. I will not say that they're wrong for thinking that. Okay, as long as we're in agreement, then. Yeah. Um, but I think it gets better. I think it mellows out a bit after the first act. Um, I think it does less of that camera nonsense. Um, which I found is just like I get what you're saying. It is interesting, but I just feel like I wish it had more. I don't know reason. You know, I is think- it really interesting to just do a goofy fisheye lens thing just because? Like I why? Think- like what? What purpose did it serve in any of those scenes? I think it serves. I think the purpose it serves when it's all erratic is just because that she's like a baby. Like she's yeah, she doesn't okay. really know. Like it's all a perspective thing. Because the music also, I think, plays into that. Because for like again, like the first half of up until she leaves with Mark Ruffalo's character, the music is very, very like disjointed and sporadic and like very discordant. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think, and then it stops. It becomes more like more pleasant to listen to and harmonious and melodic and all that. I don't think I used melodic correctly, but we'll pretend I did. Um, and that just shows her development becoming more refined right now. She can't put the pieces all together because half of her is way further ahead of the other and she's playing rapid catch up. So I think that's why the camera does that kind of stuff in the beginning more than it does towards the end. Well, well there you go, Jack. That's pretty, that's a pretty uh, good argument. I think good. I think it's a solid defense of that. Good job. What can I say? Uh, but yeah, I, I listen, she does a good job pretending to be a baby, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I just didn't, I don't, I don't need that. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I can only take so much of it, you know? Yeah. I, even the, even the best, uh, uh, you know, baby pretenders out there <laughs> are only tolerable for so, so, so long, long, you know? Yeah. Cause I'm like, well, I get it. You're pretending to be a baby, you know? <laughs> right, right. I get it. And then she discovers masturbation and that's just, uh. That's tough for everyone. I don't know. It's tough for me. But I got over it, I guess. Once she starts to talk, at least normally, um, I find her much more interesting. And, and Well, this is also quite a fun movie. Funny, I mean. Yeah. Um, Emma Stone's quite funny in the role. So once she started to be able to form coherent sentences, or even vaguely coherent sentences, because some of those is the funniest, is when she's like, she has this weird disproportionate, like she is something between a child and an adult, right? In some weird way where... She has a certain grasp on certain concepts and words and stuff that you wouldn't normally expect, but she has the diction of like a child, of yeah, a young child, and yeah. that creates funny um, scenarios. Yeah. And then by the end, she's just 
like brilliant, right? She's just like really smart and and well spoken, and yeah. that's a fun con, you know, to see it go through the whole thing. And then then she's just compelling because she's like saying interesting, reasonable things, and mm-hmm. she's like putting the screws to Willem Dafoe for being a weirdo. Yeah, being like, what have you done? What? what? I'm a freak of science. And he's like, ah, sorry, my dad like burned my dick off or something. <laughs> and he did do that. That's com- that's interesting. That was that was pretty funny too. And he's like, my father, he wanted to see if you could live without organs. That's why he's like has all the tubes in him because he needs dialysis. And it's just like turns out you do. That's <laughs> how you doing that. Now I'm horrible. But he's like he's like, man, no one you know, no one knew. We didn't know. <laughs> turns out they're right. You do need your your whatever the fuck he says, your pancreas or whatever. It's like, yeah, man, no kidding. Um and then the the Yeah, I don't know. The it, I feel the same way about the the weird setting and the weird set design and, and artistic sort of direction of the whole movie where it's like the weird like again steampunky kind of thing where it's like I get it but I don't know if I really like it you know mm-hmm. yeah I get that like with the the weird yeah I don't know I guess the whole that yeah the whole like heightened reality of it all where he's like I have this weird machine that pumps my and I and I do these weird big burp bubbles what why I mean I guess I'm that's a... the whole problem like you can't do this movie without a certain level of buy-in to a goofy mm-hmm. world premise, right? Because again, the whole thing is that they put a fetus baby in a woman's skull and it uh, creates a functional human being. Um, the brain grew, grew to fit the skull or whatever. And but also did so at a, at a much faster rate than a normal person would develop or grow. Why? I guess because the the body was already done. How does that does that make any? Is that anything? I don't think so. But again, I'm, I'm not thinking too hard about it. I don't know. Yeah. I did read, I was reading about the book and apparently in the book, um, the, the bulk of it is, so it's called, let's see, but it's called like poor things like from the, the diaries of um, the, what is his name? Shackle, Shackle, whatever. The the, the, the other guy. The husband character. The guy who she eventually Max marries. McCandles. McCandles, that's it. Not, what, what did I say? The fuck was I Mickel, thinking? Mickelson, I don't know, something like that. Um, it's, it's so it's based on the book is based on it's called Poor Things Episodes from the Early Life of Archibald McCandles, MD, Scottish Public Health Officer. And the way it's presented is uh, it says the main body of the work revolves uh, centers on Bella Baxter, a woman whose early life and identity are the subject of some ambiguity. That ambiguity is complicated by her husband, Archibald McCandles, autobiography episodes from the early life, blah blah blah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which decides the truth. He claims that she was a corpse resurrected by the scientist, Dr. Goodman Baxter, yada, 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 right? Um, but it says, then the narrative is followed by Bella's refutation of its facts, suggesting that her poor fool of a husband has concocted a life for her from the prevailing Gothic and romantic motifs of the period. It, quote, positively stinks of all that was morbid in the most morbid of centuries. This is reinforced by the novel's intricate echoes of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That's interesting, right? Yeah. That in the book presents it as if maybe that was all um, and, imagine. and she is just a normal person who lived a more normal life. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. There's, there's not a uh, really a hint of that in the movie, right? No, in the it movie, it's very clearly like for the yeah for the intents and purposes of this movie, it's presented as fact, absolute fact that yeah she she was a pregnant uh, woman who they've reconstructed into this or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's interesting. Again, I guess it's another case of like they've just they've chosen to do something more definitive and, and different for the movie, and that's that's cool. Yeah, that's good for them. Yeah, Emma Stone's good. Um, yeah, I, like I said I don't I don't really see Mark Ruffalo as being a 
uh, Oscar-worthy supporting actor nod, but he is very funny in this. I liked her interactions with the um, the old lady and the philosophy dude. I don't remember their names, but oh right, yeah, the the guy just wanted to like ruin her worldview. Yeah, well, enlightened her to a certain extent. Yeah, also, yeah, he was kind of mean about it because he was like, well, kind of. I guess he was like annoyed by her optimism. Uh, yeah, her her. Uh, Ignorance or whatever, I guess. So he's like, "Well, how about you see how it really is?" But then he's like, oh, "I might have gone too far here." Yeah, I, I, did, I did. I did find interesting uh, that the numerous, the, the all the people who try to mold her, take advantage of her, and their mold her in their image to how they see the world, how that all kind of backfires on them because she kind of she just she just kind of takes the the important parts of each of them and is like, "Well, I'll just not do any of that. Be my own person." It is interesting how even at her sort of like quite early on at at what should be her most naive. She's still like pretty savvy, it seems. Yeah, she so some of these shiny up. Which is kinda of fun. Again, I guess it's the you know, byproduct of her being some kind of she's not truly a child or a, an adult or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some amalgamation of the two. I found this I, I noted in this I found this movie to be and I said this my letter about you the Ying to Barbie's Yang. I felt they kind of cover the same sort of ideas in very different ways that I found interesting when comparing them both to each other that is interesting uh, what do you think sort about that of, sort of the, uh, the what was i made for of it all huh uh, kind of in a lot of ways in a very real sense to bring back an old classic of ours i get that jack yeah. see what you mean there yeah, yeah 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 see i thought i saw a film and i thought about it i really thought well, about it it's about women you know who were created by men some for... outside force well barbie was created by a woman to be fair well that's true but yeah, created by something, and they're choosing destinies for themselves and making themselves into their own people. And yeah, Jack, I see it. I see the vision, Jack. I hear you. I'm spitting. I'm cooking. Spitting a little with that one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And uh, there's like do, do men trying to exert their influence, and they and they don't let them. Be it Ken or General, what's his face? And you shoot him in the foot, and you replace his brain with that of a goat's. Just like happens in Barbie. Happens in Barbie. I get it. I see it, man. Yeah, it's cool. No, it's good. It's good, and that's and then that's why Emma Stone stole the Oscar nom from Margot Robbie, and we need, to be very, hands. we need to be very upset with her on it. I think. Yeah, I think Margot Robbie hates Emma Stone now. Do you think she 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 got the um she had the Golden Globe right and the Critics Choice Award? I think. Look at that. One of those was it? I think maybe it was the Golden Globe that Jennifer Lawrence was up for. Yeah, she was, and then she. There's a famous clip, the clip of her that went viral for saying, "If I don't win, I'm leaving." Was what, was she up for fucking no hard feelings? And did she do another movie in 2023? I think so, but that's uh, what she, seems weird, right? She wasn't for that movie. That that is correct. Why was she up for in the same category as Emma Stone for Poor Things for no hard, like what? I don't know. Somebody Listen, I like no hard feelings as much as the next guy, but those apples to oranges, you know. <laughs> What the mm, heck? Absolutely. All right. Well, um, but yeah, like I said, I, I was, I really was, I, basically the, the first sort of act of this was all I had feared of uh, it would be. And I was like, oh, is this going to be a real slog for me to sit through? But I, I, like I said, when she started talking, I found it much more compelling, which I mm-hmm. guess I should have, I guess that's the point. All right, Jack, I'll say it fine. I was, I was being an impatient buffoon of a man. Cape shit and all that. Because the whole point is that she starts off as an annoying literal infant of a person and she needs to develop and I suppose I should have just waited and I did, all right? And and so it turned out to be pretty good, all right? Put another one okay. in the Jacko column. That's right. Good job, Jacko. Pretty good one. Gave this uh, a four. I gave 
I gave uh, American Fictional four. Are they the same kind of four? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I gave this a four. American Fiction three and a half. I the same kind of three and a half and a four. Maybe. Uh, I no, did. There's think... different fours. There's different kinds of fours. You know. Yeah. There's two. There's many different ways which a film can earn itself a four in Zacho's book. All right. Not all the same. I kind of wish that. so that. Letterbox. Now, this is just me wanting more because no matter how much Letterbox gave me for ratings, I'd always want more particular ratings. They gave me ten stars. I feel like I could really parse my feelings more because there are some four star films. They're actually seven and a half if I were to rate them out of ten. So you need. So you want ten stars, which also can still be broken down into halves. Well, and that's what I'm saying. And then it just becomes like, why don't we have twenty? That can be like it. It. It's a ridiculous thing. It, it's just like I just want more because I, I could. I can. You are being a ridiculous person. But if they did it, I'd like it a lot, maybe. <laughs> you're real nice of them. Fair enough. Fair enough. They should bring it down to thumbs up or thumbs down. They should renew now, that'd it Now, that'd be unhinged. Oh, that would be based, Jack. I think what you meant was that would be based. Well, can they have a, can I have at least have like a middle thumb? Like a gray? Oh. oh. I can Jeez. respect that. No, I can respect that. You gotta, you gotta have conviction. You're fine, coward. <laughs> but th- th- does that make us any better than Rotten Tomatoes, though? I guess not. I don't yeah, know. but Letterboxd is not better than Rotten Tomatoes anyway. It's the same fucking bullshit. Isn't it just? Just in we've a pretty t- little laugh. about the fall of Letterboxd. It's basically come and went. All right. For all intents and purposes, I've written it off. Now I got to watch a billion fucking clips of them asking the actors what their four favorite movies are. And they're all like, I like, what's the oldest movie I can think of? The Circus. <laughs> no, you don't, Emma Stone. You don't fucking pick a real movie. Jesus. It's a hell site just like the rest of them now, Jack. <laughs> it's ruined. Never, never, what is it? Never forget for one shining moment we had Camelot. <laughs> I will say, but probably the one of the funniest parts of the movie for me is when they're getting married and Mark Ruffalo shows up with the general guy who was uh, Victoria's wife, and Willem Dafoe like coughs up blood. He goes, "He breathes blood instead of air, demon." He's like, "He has cancer, you fucking idiot." Yeah, that is good. It's very good. Actually, I do quite like that. They, the like, you know, quite modern profanity is mixed in. For the most part, they do talk like fancy Victorian era people, and then every so often they'll just be like, "What the fuck, what are, the you fuck doing? are you talking <laughs> Bella, you're being an asshole." <laughs> like half that of is Mark quite good. lines. Yeah, you're right. Half of Mark Ruffalo is just engaging in some very modern sounding profanity, which is quite good. You're right. That one is. I f- totally forgot about that. That is one of the funniest lines. <laughs> it's like he has cancer, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and even Mark Ruffalo, he's like, "Oh, well, oh, okay." My apologies. It's quite good. Again, also a very funny movie. I gotta say, we had a couple of couple of couple of chuckles. This week. Yeah, a couple of chuckle fests this week. So, do I do I expect you those to take home anything big? Well, we already kind of did that up front, but honestly, not real. I think the best chance that either of these ones has, although again, maybe they'll surprise me. They'll probably give that Greek guy fucking best director because fuck me uh, emma stone can get best actress and well, or will they maybe they'll win a, a best adapted screenplay oh yeah that'd be a good one although even then it's like well what about oppenheimer and killers i don't know how do you what is even what is best adapted screenplay even judging i don't know because i was thinking about because like i feel like poor things and oppenheimer and killers oppenheimer and killers are two are similar and are very distinct from poor things because poor things is like a fictional novel that's yeah, being novel. adapted. Yeah, yeah. But Oppenheimer were just like things that really happened and just like so, here's yeah, what they would look like if fucking Julian Murphy did them. Yeah, nonfiction. So is it like best? Is it who did the best job of adapting? Who who adapted it into the best script on its own? What's like? Wh- 
does it have to be accurate at all? Like, what do we, what do we, because the best original screenplay is which one of these is the best script, right? Is the best, best script screenplay based wholly on nothing? Wholly on nothing. Which, which one of these people thought up and wrote down the best screenplay? Um, whereas adapted, it's, yeah. What are, what are we really going for? Do we want it to be t- true to the source material on some level? Is it about how well you adapted it or just how well of a screenplay you made regardless of, of the adaptation? I don't know. I couldn't say, Jack. Could not say. Could say either. All right, you ready to round it out here? Bring it home? Yeah, Sam, let's take a tag out of that into our final topic. Uh, a surprise Bed Batch final season trailer? Didn't see that one coming. Kind of surprising. I mean, we knew it was coming sooner or later. I would have been very disappointed if it wasn't this year. I mean, I'll say, tell you that much. So, um, they te- For the Bad Batch in particular, they tend to just drop it quite quick, right? Yeah. They've done it every season. Even even back to the first one, they were like, it wasn't that. It was only, I feel like, a couple months, if that, before they were like, and it's going to be out. It's like, well, okay. I don't know why they do that. I don't know. I don't know. We've talked about it before, I'm sure. But it's, it is it is strange, sort of, to me, how they treat um, animated Star Wars. Yeah, the Bad Batch and stuff. It's like, because I know they're still putting money into it, but it feels like they don't care if anyone watches it. Yeah. So then what's the point? <laughs> Fucking, I don't know. Whatever. We're excited. Actually, the Star Wars fans are out there. So season three of the Bad Batch, what do we what do we got? I mean, we know that leaving off of last season, right? The big thing is that Omega's in prison. Um, They got her in. Seems to be a, a good amount of time has passed. It does. It, it seems like she is going to be in there for a good deal longer than we think. Or I would have thought it. Um, and what's more, um, it seems like Crosshair is not going to be in there that long with her. Yeah. Because for most of this trailer, they kind of, uh, they obfuscated a little, Jack. They hide it a tad bit. But it seems like Crosshair's hanging out with the rest of the batch, right? Do you pick yeah, up it on does. I, I, not, I mean, not as much as you, but a little bit. It seemed, it seemed like they were trying to hide it in some way. Yeah, there's a they they didn't overly do it though, where they really they didn't feel like they they didn't seem to feel like they really needed to cut around it in a crazy kind of way. Because there's a couple of shots where, like in the background, it seems like you can just see that it's like, oh, that's Crosshair. He's there with the guys doing this mission, right? Um, I suspect. I mean, I guess I could be wrong, but I I'm going off the assumption that the opening sequence we get here in this trailer is from the first episode, mm-hmm. just like the opening sequence we got for the last season's trailer was. On the beach in the first like, episode? Yeah, the beach one was a cold open sequence from the very first episode. So I'm assuming a similar thing is at play here. Um, and yeah, that's what we're seeing is, is crosshairs with the team. That would be surprising, I guess, if only because it's like, I would expect to see how specifically he gets out, right? But could be a flashback. Yeah, I guess so. Because we, unless I'm misremembering, he, he is, we definitely end last season with him still in there, right? Yeah, he's still in there. Omega just has gotten there and he's like, oh shit, you're here. Oh no, because she gets there and she's like, "Oh, you're here," because he's like been sedated because he's not being a good guy anymore. He's not being a good soldier. Falls orders anymore. Kind of yeah, they're torturing the shit out of him. We got Jimmy. Um, what's his name? Simpson. Yeah, Jimmy Simpson. Good old, he's, he's being evil. Old oil boy, still being evil. He's quite intimidating. He's a good voice actor. He really is. Um, what else? What are the big stance? I mean, it's like these trailers don't tend to give as much away. I don't think and are much more like, hey, it's just a bunch of sequences. Oh, no, yeah, because look at... Okay, so there's a scene right here, the, a shot of... He's in, like, it's crosshair, and he's looking all prisoner-like in his, like, prisoner outfit being marched around by um, clone commando guys. So, yeah, hey, he's he's clearly in prison to start it out, at least. Or, like you said, we could do some kind of time-bending flashback situations. Um, but we see Wolf in this trailer, Commander Wolf. Um, we see... 
Palpatine. He's like, I'm horrible and evil. And I need all like, those clones. You'll have anything you want. Go get them. Kill those fucking of dudes. Of course, yes, naturally. Um, of course, good old Ian McDermott himself turning it up. Great, love to see it. I don't. It's it's crazy how often they get him to do it. But then I always think that I don't know. As a kid, I remember like I think I must have just thought that the Star Wars actors were the biggest actors in the world, <laughs> just as a matter of course. But obviously now I guess I know better because it's like on the one hand I'm like I can't believe they got the guy to do the Emperor to come back for a line, but it's like well, I'll be honest. Doing? What else does that guy do? He just, he's not been in many movies, I guess. So why why not just come do some lines? Yeah, <laughs> how long did it take theater? him? All of ten minutes. Yeah, so good for him. Did you just send him a script? You're like, all right, just read this into your phone recording. Read a voice memo of all these lines, and we'll come together. Um, we see a new um bad guy armor type dude of some kind, right? Wearing he's got the black armor. He's leading those stormtroopers. You got any you got any uh harebrained theories as to who that might be? Um, Din Djarin, the Mandalorian. It could be um. I mean, it could be tech, right? It could be it could tech. Be revived, revived, evil, briefly evil tech. That would run back like to that life very much. I wouldn't either. I mean, we talked about this last season for sure, right? When it happened, um, I would really prefer it if they just let him die. Boy, dead. And as much as I hate to say it, because come on, what a guy! But tech's our boy. You're gonna do it. You gotta do it, right? You're gonna That's be about it. Be about it. That's what I've always said, and I've always said that. Yes, you have. So, yeah, you know, I I kind of agree. It seems like for a lot of shots in this trailer, they're not using the Havoc Marauder for one reason or another. So, could be a like early season um get destroyed. Maybe it blows up like in the like like Din ship in the Mandalorian gets fucking eviscerated. Unless that's also no, because there's definitely shot. Yeah, there's shots of it here. I was gonna say they don't lose it at the end of last season either, right? I feel like I'm not remembering. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I might have to brush up before we uh, get to this. Yeah, yeah, no, because okay, there's here's a shot of it, so it's definitely around. I thought they made a made you know they got away on it. I didn't think it was like lost or anything. So uh, we see Fennec Shand, we see Cad Bane returning, which should be fun. Love Cad Space Bane. Crocodile. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. Like I said, we see Commander Wolf. We see Captain Rex. Of course, he's still around. Um, probably the I mean probably the biggest one, right? You want to get right, right to it? I think end. we've covered most of it. The biggest one is at the end here. Um, Asajj Ventress. Yellow lightsaber having hair? Pixie yeah, yeah. cut Asajj Ventress. Well, of course. she's She's got hair for the end of the Clone Wars. Does she? I, I don't recall. Um, the lightsaber, quite interesting. Um, if, you, if you're built different like me, and by that I mean a massive nerd, <laughs> um... You, there's there's some things to be gleaned from Asajj Ventress's lightsaber, Jack. Um, namely, that it's not the same yellow lightsaber that she wields in other things. So, the long and short of it, real real rundown here, right? For Asajj Ventress, is that in um, you know the later seasons of the Clone Wars, she's like she leaves being Count Dooku's apprentice. She goes back to the Night Sister, but then all the Night Sisters are killed. Then she's gonna be a, a bounty hunter, and then she's like doing that and she's mostly good she seems to have largely left the dark side behind and is trying to be a you know neutral to positive kind of force in the world right um and then in the novel dark disciple mm-hmm. which is based on which is one of those things we've talked about it quite a bit in regards to this show in particular they've done a lot of, of stuff adapting um abandoned or you know cut arcs of the clone wars that were never finished for season seven and eight of that show um into 
you know, adapted into some form or, or fashion. And one of those was going to be uh, this, it was like a seven or eight arc uh, episode arc. It was huge. It was this big storyline they were going to do where Quinlan Voss goes undercover to pretend to be a basically like a dark side guy, right? To switch sides mm-hmm. so that he can get close enough to Count Dooku so that he can assassinate him. It's a full on like, we're going to send a Jedi to assassinate a guy. It's a pretty crazy, it's a pretty crazy thing for the Jedi to do, you know? Yeah, pretty full on. And um, they recruit Asajj Ventress to um, teach him because she obviously would have firsthand knowledge of that kind of thing. And then acor- across the course of it, he eventually like briefly really does fall to the dark side and they fall in love and they have a relationship. And then the end of it is that um, she's killed by Count Dooku, right? Oh, geez. Love with her, and then she dies, and it's real sad. And they bury her on Death and Beer, and he's like, "But I'm back to the good side now. It, it all ended well, and kind of thing, right?" And then uh, we know that Quinlan Voss, right, has survived Order sixty six because of um, Kenobi. Yeah, he's he's mentioned there. You know, at least as late as a decade past uh, episode four is still, or sorry, episode three is still being alive. So, well, he's kicking. But it seems like. Um, by some form or another, Asajj Ventress may also be alive again. Yeah. What do you think of that? You got any strong opinions here? Not really. I didn't know she died. It's kind of what I figured. Yeah. I, I, the, the later seasons of the Clone Wars, besides the season seven, uh, hazy. I don't. I don't either. I didn't watch them, or I just don't know what happens. She's um she's in the arc where Ahsoka is uh on the run for being framed for murder, right? You know this one. Yeah, she gets kicked out of the Jedi Order, or she leaves. She leaves. She, yeah, she voluntarily leaves at the end because she was like, "Because she has to survive Order sixty six. Well, that's part of it. Although she ends up right back with some clones for Order sixty six, anyways, doesn't she? So. But she still lives because Dave Flynn's like, "Well, I gotta use her. She's my only character." She's already in Rebels at that point, Jack. I mean, what are you gonna do? Don't let. Uh, her, but yeah, don't put her there. Oh, this is interesting. So, like I said, if you're a big, big nerd, um, the lightsaber is is a clue because her lightsaber, the one that she wields in dark disciple yeah, ostensibly we know what it looks like um because it's the the i don't know if this has ever been directly confirmed maybe this is the type of detail that will end up being retconned but the idea was that that lightsaber we've seen because it's the sec it's the other half of darth maul's lightsaber from season seven of the clone wars um mm. Because it's asymmetrical, right? It doesn't look like his one from episode one because that one's cut in half at the end of episode one. And then for most of the Clone Wars, he's running around with just a single. And then eventually he grafts this other one on the side. So the uh, logic goes that they left that lightsaber on with the Asajj Ventress's grave on Dathomir. Then Darth Maul, who also hangs out there, fucking pillaged it and took it. <laughs> yeah. Led her crystal to red and then stuck it on the end of his lightsaber. So the fact that we have... Saj Ventress here with what looks like her one of her first lightsabers. She had the two curvy guys. Yeah. Um, now yellow, or at least something very similar to that. Instead of the other one, I don't know, it suggests something going on here. Um, or it just, could just be that they didn't look into it like that. <laughs> it's possible. It could go either way, really. Yeah. But if it is really a, supposed to be... Um, if that was a... If that was a genuine choice to, to convey something, then that's that's interesting, I guess. Because the thing is, like, is she really back from the dead? Is it going to somehow be explained that she never was dead? Is this a flashback of some kind? You know, her being a night sister, right? There's kind of a that is one of the built-in sort of mechanisms, right? Mm-hmm. In Star Wars for um, having some kind of uh, what, what would you call it? 
reanimation <laughs> of some description, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the only ones we know of is that the Night Sisters can revive your corpse. And we've only ever seen, right, turning into like a mindless zombie of a thing. But really maybe, right this time. Else, maybe maybe there's something else at play here. So I don't know. Should be interesting to see. She's she's a you know she's one of those like fan favorite kind of characters, right? More obscure, but then the people who know her really do like her. You know, she mm-hmm. does have this really interesting arc. I would say, right, from like kind of generic um, evil henchman. Yeah, exactly. Bad guy henchman, basically, all the way to like she comes all the way around and she goes through the tragedy of her <laughs> everyone she ever knew dying, basically, and yeah, that'll get you the force for good on some level. And then a lot of people like the Dark Disciple and that relationship and all that, but then it ends poorly. And well, now she's maybe not dead, so it should be cool to see. I wonder what her role will be. If she'll be like just in one episode and be like, stay away from me, leave me alone. She'll be like part of the finale in some way, help hide them. I don't know. I saw someone point out that like it would be very much in line with her character to want to help them save Omega, right? Mm-hmm. That she would be, I think, like you said, like, the, oh, leave me alone. Don't, I don't want to get involved kind of thing, right? And then they'd be like, oh, well, we have like a, a young girl who's being <laughs> oppressed by the system. And then she'd be like, not, the, not a young girl. Being impressed with that's that's my one consistent thing. <laughs> I'm in. So yeah, it could be. This is clearly very much though the the uh, the Gunji sting from last season, right? Where it's like, yeah. oh, Gunji's gonna be. Whoa, whoa. Holy fucking shit! It's Gunji. It's Gunji. Oh my god. That's a side of interest. They're really they're pulling out all the stops. People are worried though, or bothered by the idea that this could be retconning yet another novel. Yeah. Well, will, will Filoni ever rest, Jack? I hope it. I hope he. I hope he makes all the novels non-canon. Jack, no, don't say that. I'll say what I want. He's come Jack, for the High, no. the High Republic novels. Days are numbered. Lucky <laughs> nobody cares about the High Republic. They're safe for now. You are. That was a joke someone made. I think when when we were talking about us. I don't know if I ever told it to you, but it definitely came up. I did. So I was like, no one tell Dave Filoni about the High Republic. <laughs> tell him. Please, no. Um, I'm trying to find it now, real quick here. But there was they they got out ahead of this a little bit to their credit, right? Uh first of all. Dave Filoni is not actually very involved in this show. No. <laughs> Which I think well, we all, we've always known. I thought he was more I don't even know what, he's, I don't know what he's credited with, but he definitely isn't like a director or showrunner or anything else. But he runs it all now because he's creative chief officer, so he writes everything. He, well, now that's a good point, Jack. He makes all my shows woke and lame and horrible. <laughs> Damn, Jack. He made he really a, got me. a woman, so he's that's woke true. and bad. Well, that's, that's all very true. You've got me there. I, I, I have no... I have no refutation for such a a you know cogent and 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 well reasoned argument. But you liberals never do. Um. Okay, so it's Brad Rao, who's a supervising director and executive producer on the Bad Batch. Says we love a side adventure. She's a character that we've been wanting to tell more stories about. We don't want to spoil anything, but want fans to know that any new storytelling with Ventress will align with the events of Star Wars: Dark Descent. Oh. So there it is. It seems so it, like so aware of this. So it was the so everyone was worried for no reason. So so you're telling me Star Wars fans made a were up in arms for no reason before a thing came out? Well that doesn't sound like them, but it seems like in this uh-huh. one particular instance that might have been sort of incidentally what has happened. I it's a good thing they didn't do that during Jedi Tales of the Jedi when they were like, Are they gonna make episode one not canon? What the fuck? Yeah. They those, I, I was those. Yeah, well yeah. It, it was I wasn't gonna say it, but yeah. It was me. I was like, what are they doing here? They're playing episode fast. Episode 1 wasn't going to be canon. What are they going to do? And then, of course, they didn't make episode 1 not canon. Because why would they? Why? Yes. Well, that's just it. Why would they? 
And that all worked out for the best. Although everyone hates that show because of Ahsoka. They they sp- they ruined the Ahsoka book, remember? <sighs> Who Filoni- gives a shit about these Filoni- fucking books, dude? Here's the thing. Here's the thing about... I don't know... No, We're not like on Twitter or anything. We're not the fucking j Rogan experience, and we're not going to like go viral on Twitter. But if it was so fucking important to tell, they wouldn't put it in a fucking book. I'm sorry. If it was so important, they definitely would have put it in fucking season 12 of the Clone Wars if it had one. That's just it, isn't it, Jack? And it's, I read a lot of the books. I like the books. I'm a, I'm a big enough fan myself. Um, but I also can't really refute anything you've said there. That's all there is to it. Like as and, and people got so up in arms, and in the past couple years in particular, there's been a few instances where people have really decided to get their, their panties in a twist over certain changes or whatever. And it's like, well, what's even the point? I thought it was supposed to be continuous. It first of all, it really is. They still do a much better job nowadays of it being continuous than ever before. Um, and yeah. What you've said is is really honestly, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. If it was, if this was like essential storytelling and stuff, it wouldn't really be there. The the books are at the end of the day always going to be like additional kind of ancillary material that are for types of mega nerds who care to fill their you know reading time also with Star Wars after yeah. they've talking about Mister Bones and the Padme trilogy. I think. Well, that's just it. That's just it. After that, hey, if you like Mr. Bones, God bless you. He's a great guy. I'm just saying. Let's let's all let's all have some internal reflection about this. Well, yes, Jack. You're not you're not wrong. That's just you're right. You're right, Jack. In a lot of ways, you're not. Not only you're not wrong, you're actually quite correct in a very real sense. It really is just for fun. It's like again, if you're the type of if you're a big enough nerd that you want to read Star Wars after you've already like watched a bunch of Star Wars and shit, then you know, more power to you, but, like, again, I've talked about this whole, the whole funnel thing, right, you cannot get, war- or like, too worked up about the fact that the movies and television, which are made for the largest possible audience, do not cater necessarily the to the most people niche who read part. the books, which is most, exactly, the most niche audience, you know? Mm. Start, tie-in, listen, I think in, in terms of, like, tie-in franchise book series or whatever right like which i'm not i'm not actually read a whole ton of right but they're out there right stuff like your halo books and your whatever warhammer 40k books and all that type of shit right star wars is really among the best of them but it still is i mean it is what it is right Mm -hmm. very particular type of thing you got going so you know it's all right dark disciple is still canon it's all right it's safe it's all right no it's all right let's listen and this is another crazy concept that Star Wars fans i know often struggle with but maybe we should just wait until it actually is a thing that exists that you can watch and see what's happened maybe we need i don't know context maybe maybe i wouldn't why don't be a don't be a coward about it Uh, what are you a communist (laughs) i can't wait for ventress to say don't worry hello bad batch it's me ventress in the novel dark disciple i survived die Survived the events of Star Wars Dark Disciple. Have you seen my lover, Quinlan Voss? Has he been about? He also survived the Star Wars novel, Star Wars Dark Disciple. And presumably the events that followed, such as, but not limited to, <laughs> Battle of Kashyyyk and or Order 66. <laughs> Are you excited for Bad Batch Season 2, Jack? Three? Yep, that mm, too. I'm moderately excited. It's good. What else can we ask for, really? For me, I mean, not much yeah. more. For a moment here, we're going to have like two or three sci-fi shows overlap, and it's going to be quite the, the brouhaha. And we're going to hate one of them a lot. It's going to be... We'll see. Maybe it'll surprise us, Jack. 
maybe maybe Halo itself as a show will will indeed as it as it you know claims its marketing rise from the fall. Have you considered that? Have you considered that it might rise from the fall? Maybe that's no. a very maybe that's a very like self-aware piece of of sort of meta marketing, right? They're saying us the Halo TV team, right? Are, are are poised to rise from the fall of season one, which is one of the worst seasons of television I've ever bore witness to. So if you're going to rise from... I mean, it's got to be better than that, right? You can't go... But Hold on to that, at least, Jack. It, they they truly could not get much worse. Oh, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. You think that about does it, Jacko? I think so. So we're having up right about here. Thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, at AkatechJazz, AkatechJaz, on Gmail, at AkatechJaz at gmail.com, and on Instagram at the Akatech Podcast, all lowercase. Our intro was done by a friend of the show, Joey B. You can find him on Instagram at Joey B, all caps. Um, and he's got his various links to his uh, Spotify, his album on Spotify, and his singles, and his SoundCloud, and all, and where he's performing, and who he's performing with, and all that fun bibs and bobs. Our logo is by from the show, Jeffrey Gonzalez. As always, you can find him at inkocean.jpg on Instagram, or on Redbubble. And as always, we wrote it, we produced it, we built all the sets. Say goodnight to the people, Zach. Good night. Good night, and Godspeed.